Hey guys, this is Field of Vapor. Hey folks, this is Pete Bissardo. Hey guys, this is Ruby Rue, and you're listening to Smoke Free Radio. Hello, vapors. Welcome to another edition of Smoke Free Radio. Uh, now sponsored by Big Vapor. Please visit bigvapor.com for all your vaping needs. Yes, competition Smoke Free Radio is now sponsored by Big Vapor. How's everybody doing? I know it's been a couple of weeks, been traveling a lot, and definitely that will be uh, the majority of the topics that we're going to cover here today. Had a very, very interesting and difficult itinerary going through uh, four cities. Two countries, four zip codes in 11 days. Uh, but I'm back. Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, a lot of stuff has happened uh, in the last two weeks that I have missed doing a show. Uh, but before we get on to all that, let me go ahead and bring my lovely co-host here with me. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only M. M. what's up? Hello, how are you? You're a little bit low. Can you crank it up a little bit? Is any better? A little bit low, a little bit higher. How about that? That's perfect. Can everybody hear M? Yay. Yay. I hope so. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Good. Uh, so uh, I know obviously you missed me. I did. <laughs> so what's been going on with you? I've been chatting with you in a couple of weeks. Oh, God, not much. Just working, pretty much. Uh, work is good. Yes. Because it pays the bills. Yes, it does. But... As usual, it's pretty quiet over here on this side. Well, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, while I was in China, I was sitting next to Oliver from the ECF, and we were discussing some of the things that were going on with the <clears throat> TBD over there, and, and, and the lawsuit, and you know, and the ensuing drama that's being following this this mm-hmm. enactment date that's coming up. And once again, you know, he, you know, if I'm frustrated, people call me the most frustrated pessimist in the United States as far as advocacy is concerned. He's pretty pessimistic about it too. 
and uh, and and he also sees you know a lot of the, the apathy there as as we see it here in the United States. I mean, it's it's uh, it's mind-boggling. It is. It always is. We need to get more people involved. I want to see what's happening with the not blowing smoke thing happen over here. Yes, that would be great. In fact, I'd like to see it happen on a local level here. I'm trying to. Um, I'm trying to get through this legislative session here in Tennessee, and then we're focusing on hiring a PR firm here in Tennessee and seeing if I could work with Stefan to take the material from him and kind of, you know, make the adjustments to from the California model to the Tennessee model and just start trying to use that positive PR here. Uh, obviously, the Not Blowing Smoke campaign has, has it, it's, it's really been effective. It's been effective that they've noticed us. Yeah. It's worked a little bit against us as well, too, because, you know, we, we are being tied in with Big Tobacco as much as we're trying to uh, pull ourselves away from it. And now, even Tobacco Free California, I had an exchange with them today on Facebook. They're trying to use that the Big Tobacco Company is actually being more responsible with electronic cigarettes versus us, versus our side of the industry. Uh, by yeah, I know, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, but... Uh, today they were quoted saying that the big tobacco e-cigs, they're having the proper labeling on them uh, to to kids to avoid using them. And, you know, talking about the, you know, nicotine and, you know, the harms that could go with e-cigs as well, too. So it, it's kind of funny that like, they took that and they're using it now against us. Not only using it against us, but also kind of looks like they're promoting big tobacco e-cigs versus our, our electronic cigarettes. It's, it's pretty ironic. Don't they realize that big tobacco is late, you know, they're late to the game. They're they're picking up all the tips that we've been establishing for what I know that I started vaping in 2010, so for at least the last five years. They don't have. They don't. Do you think that they don't know? I mean, they know them. They know where their money's coming from. They know what they need to do. This is a pure, you know, script that they're going off, basing off. Of. I'm just saying is that we really got to be careful. We really got to be careful on how we tread. And uh, and do it professionally, and do it courteously, and do it in an ed- education matter, and right. and hopefully, hopefully, it will pay off in the end. I am optimistic that we will win at the end, but where that end is, I'm not quite sure yet. <laughs> it looks like it's it looks like it's very very far away. Yes. So um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, a couple of the, a couple of the news stories that that I wanted to talk about, and and you brought up with me earlier today. Uh, obviously, here we have a, a story that's going to be breaking in from the CDC tomorrow. It was already uh, quoted on the Huffington Post today. The CDC is putting out a, a study that they did showing that, in fact, that the name of the article, the title of the article, is "E-cigarette use among teens triples over three years." This is based on the CDC study. Um, you know. Again, it's it's a misleading study. It, it's showing that teens tried out e-cigs. There's no data on if if those uh, those teens were smoking before. There's no data if they continued. Uh, I mean, it's like me giving you a beer and then calling you an alcoholic. I mean, even though I know you are, but if, let's say you weren't. <laughs> I was just giving you one beer to try, and then all of a sudden, you know, you become a you become an alcoholic. It's just miscued and, and misled data. And and again, I think it's going to take tomorrow. You're going to see it blasted all over Associated Press news stories. Oh yeah, it's gonna it's gonna hit Twitter hard too. They, I'm telling you, they use the, these automated services to get these articles out mm-hmm. there super fast. 
And then the amount of people that you have to deal with that read it and go, oh, my God, so many teens are, are vaping now. No, right. it's not true. Right, right. I want to I read a couple of the stuff. that I, have, I haven't seen the whole study. I knew about this. Uh, Dr. F messaged me that it was coming, it's, it's coming out. But um, a couple of the stuff that's quoted here, I want to see the entire study when it comes out. But a couple of the things that's, that's, that's quoted, the CDC survey uh, found 13% of high school students recently smoked regular cigarettes and that about 23% used some form of tobacco product, be it cigarettes, e-cigarettes, flavored cigars, hookahs, or something else. Talk about a vague <laughs> vague definition. And, and this, this title uh, of this article is clearly marketed to e-cigs. In contrast to the high school rate of 4.5%, the adult rate for use for e-cigarettes is lower. At 2.6% of U.S. adults were current users last year, according to the CDC. Um, there's no way. I mean, and this is one of the funny parts too. Uh, what, what, today with Tobacco Free California, the way that it started is that they, they don't have any any science or any studies that show people that transition to e cigs have quit tobacco. And boom, I hit them with four studies, including one American study that came out, you know, recently. But the mm. studies that I, that that I sent them all show that at least fifty percent of the people that have, you know, from the studies that were done, have quit combustible tobacco and have transitioned to e cigs. So we have we have enough data to show it. But they keep using this. Like, we don't know. Where are you getting the data that 2.6% of U.S. adults from the current smokers? Listen, I don't need any science. There's 15,000 vape shops in the United States, okay? There's your data. How in the hell are you going to have 15,000 dedicated vape shops that only sell vapor products in the United States if people are not using them? If you don't have adult users that use them on a regular basis, how are you going to have this economy, Right. I mean, you think we'd have fifteen thousand shops if everybody was dual using? No, it's absolutely it's it's absolutely ridiculous to even believe that. Why are they not sending out these researchers to these vape shops to collect data from from there? Oh, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that make sense? I said sug- I suggested that in China, by the way, uh, during my presentation. I think a vape shop study is needed. Didn't we talk about this in the in the, in the last episode? Or, or, or uh, I've, I've talked to so many people the last couple of weeks. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we we have a protocol for for vape shop study to get the vape shops involved to to monitor smokers that come into the shop to get the first starter kit, you know, transition over. And then monitor them over a period of six month time. They don't even have to go to the existing shop. Uh, all they all we have to do from shop is assign them a number. They can go online. They kind of track their progress, even if they're dual using. It's okay. They need to admit it, put it in there, what they started with, what they transitioned with, you know, what flavors are they using. We could gather so much data uh, if we did it. You know, let's have 1,000 shops through, you know, across the United States, and let's take them per capita, you know, where we have more, more smokers, more shops, or more, you know, and, and try to collect some data to be able to do a, 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 you know, a proper study to show how many people are quitting. Because if we show, right, you know, right now the current cessation method is about 6% success rate. I might be on the high side, between 6 and 7%, let's say. If we show that 14% of the people that go into a vape shop quit, automatically we've doubled the success rate of the FDA-approved NRT methods, Yeah. which I don't think. I mean, I think that number is going to be huge. I think it's going to be over 50%, right? So we need to have, we need to have data, and, and we don't. And the C, if we rely on the CDC, I don't know why I'm popping, but let me try to adjust this down a little bit. Cut, cut your mic just a little bit down, just a, just a hair down. Uh, um, okay. uh, that's good. So, I don't. Uh, I, again, I keep, I'm keep, keep I keep telling you into the community study, but this is the studies that we need to combat this stuff. The CDC is not going to go into the vape shops. It's, not, it's impossible. That's not where they're getting their grants from. <laughs> you know, they're going to get. They're going to do the studies that are based on their on their grants uh, more than anything else. So I don't know. I mean, 
I, I keep going back to the study and study study thing. People seem that they don't need science. Maybe we don't need science. I don't know. Uh, I think anything that we're going to do to show positively that e-cigs are helping smokers transition is, is a good thing. And on top of all that, it combines the CDC study with the kids thing. You know, you have to be accurate, all right? Kids are going to try. They're going to try tobacco cigarettes. They're going to try e-cigs. Kids try everything, right? Try everything. So uh, give us re- actual results. How many of those that tried it were a cigarette smoker first? Or how many of those that tried it continue to use it? All they're giving us is numbers that adjust to their, you know, quit or die method, which we all know that, okay, you're a little bit low now. Crank it up just a little bit. How about that? Is that's that good. better? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because Jake is old. He can't hear very well. You know, it's, it's, Tell him to his hearing aid up a little bit. <laughs> you see, Jake, I didn't say that. She said it. She said it. Crank your, crank your hearing aid a little bit. <laughs> so, so anyway, all right, what else did you want to talk about? The CDC study? Fail. All right, let's go ahead and put it on there. So just get ready for this blast. It's coming this week. You're going you're gonna to see a lot of these stories that are really, really bad. And uh, just back it up with science. Uh, when, whenever you reply to these articles or if you're replying to the to the newspapers online, uh, make sure you use accurate and, uh, and educational uh, comebacks. Go ahead, Em. Yep. Um, the next thing was the two-year-old little boy that died from e-liquid a couple months ago. I think it was in January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It... Um, you know, we talked about this here on, on the radio when it first happened. We didn't have any facts of, everybody was saying e-liquid. We didn't know exactly what it was. And now we found out that it was a 100-milligram Nick from yeah. um, from Heartland. Yeah, and then, you know, I was thinking about it because I was looking through this article, and then I went over to the Heartland Vapes website, and they only sell 100-milligram nicotine in the largest or the smallest size that they sell it in is a one-liter jug. Yeah. So... I'm wondering if this person, woman, whatever, bought like a one liter jug, dispensed it into a smaller container and basically just left it out for this little boy to get his hands on. I'm absolutely as a as a mother, I'm absolutely <sighs> deadly. I I am so pissed off with this story. I feel so bad for for the for the kid that died. Okay? We just gotta put that out there. We have you know, you have to grieve for the poor kid that died. But if there's anybody that needs to be sued or arrested, it has to be the parents and the people that are responsible for that kid. While the, if the parents were not at the house, because it, it's it's a it's a whole messed up story. By the way, it's a it's like a Jerry Springer family, right? It's like the husband and the ex was there watching the kid, and he was out with his current girlfriend or wife. I mean, it's just it's, it's, it's some trailer yeah. trash going on. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's some Jerry Springer there waiting to happen. But. Um, Whoever was responsible for watching that child needs to 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 they need to go to jail. They need to be held responsible. And also, the parents, if they were the ones that were using the nicotine for e-liquid, they need to be responsible as well too. I mean, you're talking about a hundred milligram nick uh, left unattended in a bottle in the house without a cap on. I mean, what the hell were they thinking? On a low table. Yeah, on a low table, right, right. The thing that pissed me off about this article is that the woman who left it there says that she didn't know that the baby was going to be home. Now, you're leaving an open bottle of 100 milligram nicotine on a table in a house that has a child in it. Common sense would tell you, fucking put it away, whether they're home or not. I I would put it away even if I didn't have kids, 
I mean, 100 milligram nicotine is dangerous. Just mm-hmm. even for, for, for you to fall on your skin and, and you know, it, it, you can get over-nicked. You know, I mean, even if you didn't have kids there, you don't want to have 100 milligram nicotine just laying around. Makes no sense at all. No. Uh, it was funny that, that the, the article ended with, uh, you know, they're expected to sue Heartland. And, you know, I mean, Heartland is, has no negligence in this. No. And, and if they do sue them, I hope that the insurance company doesn't settle. Because most of these cases, I'm going to be honest with you, this is how the U.S. system works. And I've seen it with my own two eyes in, in situations with the restaurant. If somebody sues Heartland and then the insurance company gets in, you know, involved, usually they settle. You know, usually they don't even go to court, especially if this is some kind of a, you know, Jerry Springer situation, as I told you earlier. Right. The, the insurance company will say, well, we'll just give you $20,000 and settle. And, um, and, and then usually they'll take the money. They're not going to go to court. And, and the, the insurance company does that because the system is so flawed in the United States that they would rather settle. It costs them more money to defend it, even if it's to win, than it is to just give them 20 grand to go away. Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand that. Right. They think, oh, they've settled out of court, so obviously there was something something wrong there. No, it's not always the case. It's not the case, and it's very, very misleading for what the the public perception will be. And then it's going to be, and then it's going to be, Okay, well, let's fucking listen. You know, these ambulance chaser uh, attorneys don't don't think they're not watching. Oh, you know, yeah, they're, they're all gonna they're all gonna line up outside vape shops afterwards. Hey, you know, take that the liquid liquid nicotine with you home. Let's let's make a deal because that's exactly what's gonna happen. My mother, my mother worked twenty years in personal injury in New York, and this is something that those lawyers would be sat there just waiting for, frothing mm-hmm. at the mouth, waiting for something like this to happen, so they could jump on it. I had an employee that worked for me years back. Uh, this was actually before I even got married. So this is about f- 15 years ago. Uh, I was running a seafood restaurant, and I had this one guy <coughs> that worked for me in the kitchen, excuse me, that um, came to me during a busy time, and he said, uh, I'm going to go outside and smoke a cigarette. And I'm like, it's, we're really busy now. Wait you know, until it slows down, then you can go outside and smoke a cigarette. So what does he do? He goes outside and leaves. Just I never saw him again. Uh, a couple of days later, I get a call. He says, I, I went outside to empty the trash, and I hurt my back, and I'm at the hospital. <laughs> so I said, uh, "I said, well, okay, let me know if you need anything. Never saw from him again. Two, three months later, I think it's like after I got married. It might have been a while later, maybe four or five months, because it was, it was right at the time I was about to get married. I get a lawsuit at the house. He's suing me and my wife. <laughs> I wasn't even married with my wife at the time. And the corporation of the restaurant saying that he got permanent damage in his back. So we started to do some digging, uh, and we found out that after he left me, he went and got a job with Golden Gallon, which is like a chain of Mapco stores, you know, that sell gas, gas station stores. And his job was to pressure wash the parking lots. You know, so he'd take that pressure washer and, you know, hit it and, 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 and you know, get all the stuff off the parking lot. And um, we went to the employer. We got the, 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 the paper that he did work for them. And, uh, and I went to my insurance company, and I said, look. Uh, I've got evidence here that when he left me, he went and got a job and he was pressure washing. I mean, that requires a lot of, you know, work on on your your back. You know, you can't hold that pressure washer if he had permanent damage in his back. Mm-hmm. So the insurance company tells me, uh, yeah, we're just going to give him like four or five grand and get him over with. And I'm like, why? I was so, uh, and I was so pissed off. I was literally coming out of my clothes at, at the attorney's office. I was like. We have a case here. We can beat it. We have evidence. You know, he doesn't have... This is all bullshit. Yeah. And you know how frustrating it is when the attorney tells you, we know it's bullshit, we know it's lying, but it's more 
cost effective for us just to give them a few thousand dollars instead of fighting in court. Yeah. And I can't do anything because it's the insurance that's paying it. I'm not paying for the attorney. Mm-hmm. My insurance company is paying for the attorney. And I said, this is fucking bullshit. This is what's wrong with this country. We should go and, and punish him and not only punish him, put him in jail for this and, put, and set an example so other people won't have fraudulent lawsuits. Right. And, uh, and unfortunately, this is the same thing that's going to happen with Heartland. As soon as Heartland gets sued, the insurance company is probably going to give them a few thousand dollars. They're going to buy it and go buy some more nicotine. <laughs> Start making some... They might open up a vape shop. Who knows? <laughs> oh man, it was uh, it was it's 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 frustrating. I really feel sad for the kid. I think a lot of people are missing that. You know, let's let's not forget the little kid died here. But uh, but pure negligence on the parents, and 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 uh, and I hope if it does go to court, I hope that they do fight it all the way. Um, but generally, the cases and what we've seen in the past, um, that's not the case. All right, what else you got to talk about? Um. Altria's vapor vapor yeah, rights. What's up with that? Fill me in on that. Oh, this just popped up. Um, let's see. The press release was on the seventh, so it's only been out for about nine days now. And basically, what it is is Altria's innovative tobacco products company, Newmark, launches VaporRights.com, a website for adult vapors who are interested in information and advocacy on public policy issues related to e-vapor products. Now, I didn't really pay too much attention to what to what was going on with it mm-hmm. when it first came out. I'm going to stick up the link in chat mm-hmm. and let people have a look at this. Do you remember when uh, I can't even say do you remember when because it wasn't very long ago when um, Not Blowing Smoke came out and somebody commented on Professor Glantz's blog that the Not Blowing Smoke website looked like it was too professional to just be you yeah. Know, vapor enthusiasts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now you go to this altria website and it's pretty basic yeah i could probably do that and i don't do web design yeah and yeah. you know it covers pretty much everything taxes bans underage sales um regulations with the fda and stuff like that and when you're reading through it and if you if you're not already involved in advocacy on either side of the pond you're looking at it and it sounds really good mm-hmm. somebody who's a new vapor is going to look at this and be like yeah i want to get involved in right, this right, right. and in my opinion and a lot of other people's opinions especially over here on this side uh, dave dorn is one of them um basically it's set up to reinforce that vapors are astroturf and it undermines all of the work that we have done for the last couple of years so it's a setup to get us uh, look even worse <laughs> I think I, I think it's just a website to collect your email so they can send you new mark coupons. <laughs> Basically, I think that's what it is. <laughs> We're gonna send you a free Mark Ten in the mail after a couple of weeks. Uh, listen, uh, when I was in uh, when, when I was in Washington, I was uh, when I went to the DC conference. Which I'm gonna talk about a little bit later on as well too. But I I, I did get involved in a little uh, circle of listen to this, listen to these people. Um, Lori Lard, Altria, mm-hmm. National Tobacco, uh, RJR Reynolds, uh, me and Gregory Conley. <laughs> that, was, that was the group, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, you want to talk about having the wheel and the desire to hold back your feelings. I was tested. I was and- extremely tested. Greg, everybody knows Greg is a loud mouth. So, you know, for him to... Uh, he was he was, he held himself back, but you know he was Greg. Greg is you know he'll tell it like it is. Yeah. But what I did find out, and this is, 
this is 110% my opinion and nobody else's opinion. But what I did find out and was really interesting. Lorillard, Altria, and National Tobacco, they're not against us. They're not for us, okay? Don't take my words out of context. I don't want anybody saying I'm with Big Tobacco. But they're not against us. So they're not going to go and drop legislation like RJR is doing right now. RJR is is totally against open vapor space, all right? Yeah. Lori Lard, they sell open vapor products. National Tobacco, they sell open vapor products. Altria knows that the future is open vapor products. They know that the product is, is, is can't compete, right? But they're not against it. They're not going to go out there and aggressively drop legislation to fight open vapor space. But the big enemy here is RJR. They are 150% against us. And Altria is taking the stance of, you know, they're, they're kind of sitting back. You know, they're kind of sitting back and they're saying this legislation. If they see legislation in the state, like here in Tennessee, RJR and Altria are fighting for legislation. Because Altria wants to change the weight per pound on, uh, on smokeless tobacco. To benefit mm. their company. So they might make a deal behind closed doors with RJR. Okay, well, we'll give you this, you know, like they did in North Carolina. We'll give you a tax, and you give us this change in weight per pound so it fits our corporate structure. But Altria is not aggressively dropping legislation as RJR is doing, right? Right. So I think it's very – I think as vapors, we really need to understand who the enemy is. Um, I'm not saying go out there and buy Mark 10 products or Lori Lauder products because they're, they're, they're not good, okay? Don't get me wrong. But I think we should concentrate on our, our effort, and, and as advocates, I think we need to go after the real enemy. And the real enemy right now, today, and that might change tomorrow or six months from now, but today, RJR is the biggest, biggest enemy. When the RJR guy, because he gave a presentation in co- at the conference in D.C., when when the when the RGR guy said, well, you know, I've been working for tobacco harm reduction for 20 years, and you know, we understand the benefits of tobacco harm reduction, and we want to collaborate, and we want to work, and and I was like, oh my fucking god, what is this guy saying? You've been killing people for a hundred years, right? And and now you're saying that you believe in tobacco harm reduction, and you want to collaborate when you haven't negotiated. In order to collaborate, you have to be able to negotiate. And RJR is not negotiating at all. They mm-hmm. want to monopolize the market. So it was so frustrating sitting there listening to this douchebag, you know, try to act like, okay, yeah, we're all in this together. We're in tobacco harm reduction, blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. You're not. He got called out during the conference. He got called out after the conference and in the meetings and the same thing. And, you know, he always plays this, oh, you know, I can't really comment on political structure and lobbying. That's a different, that's a different department from me. You know, he always, he always weaseled himself out of these questions. But... RJR right now is our biggest enemy. And if more vendors and industry understood that and took their action via lobbyists in every state, we would be in a bigger place. RJR is the worst snake of all. They smell weakness, right? They smell weakness and they attack. And look at the states that they're attacking. They're attacking the states that don't have a representation. That's where the worst and the most hideous lobby excuse me state laws are dropping on e-cig products where the industry itself has not taken the right steps to be organized and that's who we should focus our we should focus our attention to blast our we should start a campaign against rjr just like we've done with the california department of death that would be amazing <clears throat> i'm calling california department of death by the way man. <laughs> it's the only one that's my only that's my new uh, slogan i'm going to patent that and i'm going to trademark and i'm going to copyright it um, but RJR is there. Now, this Altria thing, you know, I don't, you know, Altria is not with us, but I do believe that they're not against us. 
you know, somebody had told somebody told me at the meeting. I, I forget who it was, but he told me this this great plan. He says, "Why don't we go tell the tobacco companies to harvest tobacco plants and make nicotine? Ban imp- you want to lobby? Use use your federal lobbying to ban importation of nicotine from China and India, <laughs> and sell nicotine to us, the e-cig industry. They would make billions." Forget selling cigarettes. Make nicotine. Let us buy it. Let everybody vape. What the fuck are you doing? There's your money. I can you go. You're paying all these people on your board. I did, I can do this shit for free. What the hell? I'll give you. I will counsel. I will give you consulting for free. Make nicotine and sell it to the vaping industry. They would make billions more money than what they're making now. But here, here's the problem. RJR. And Altria and Lori Lard and National Tobacco, they have a backup plan, M. Oh, of course they do. They sell cigarettes. <laughs> so whether you vape or you smoke, they can't lose. What the fuck do we have? We don't have a backup plan. If they ban open vapor space, we can't go and start rolling cigarettes. They mm. ban that. The rolling own industry is gone too. So we can't make cigarettes to sell, right? They have a backup plan, and vapors need to understand that, that Every time you get that glimpse that, oh, okay, well, this tobacco company, you know, they're coming into the vapor space. No, they're trying to be there just in case. <laughs> if if Why do you think RGR hasn't invested in an open vapor product? Maybe they know that the FDA is going to ban it. Maybe. I don't know. I've predicted that they know, but who am I? You know, it's just a prediction. So if... If the if RJR says okay, well we have a vapor product here. Oh, no, vapors look at them. Oh, they're they're getting into the vapor space as well too. No, they're positioning themselves to have either or. Whether you're going to vape, I want to sell it to you. If you're going to smoke, I want to sell it to you. And forget about every other business, every other industry that has spurted out of these last three or four years. Multi-million dollar companies, moms and pop shops, fuck them all. We're going to put them all out of business. Yeah. <sighs> you getting me fired up again? <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I wanted to take it easy today too, because I feel like I'm on China time now. It's like, uh, it's like, all right. So, uh, anything else that you want to bring up before I get into it? Um, no, I think that's it. All right. So, uh, I attended the Washington conference in D.C. Uh, the East Good Talents Group. I always like going to these conferences, not so much for the presentations. Uh, most of the stuff that I see there, I've seen it before. Uh, unless state legislation, Brittany Murphy from uh, from uh, National Tobacco, she had a really great presentation on state legislation right now, and 560 bills M right now in the United States, 560 bills in 25 states. Do you believe that? For all e-cigs, for e-cigs, right? all for uh-huh. e-cigs, 560 bills. The majority of those, if not all of them, well, I'm not gonna say all of them, but the majority of them, RJR. Oh my God. Um, so, which is a, a huge contrast from a couple of years ago when we had like 22 bills uh, within yeah. two years, right? Within two years. I mean, it's 600% increase in, in bills that are, that are on, on the floor right now. So I really enjoyed her presentation. National Tobacco, Britain, she's helped me a lot. She, 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 she represents National Tobacco, but their vapor space, which is uh, V2 SIGs and, uh, and ZigZag. That's the two brands that they distribute through, through the stores. Um, but but also I enjoy the networking because you know you you get the real talk like in between breaks, you know in between breaks you get to meet some other people you get their perspective on it and you try to you know try to you know you're trying to grasp the reality of what's going on, uh, especially talking to some of these bigger companies that have a lot of money to invest in government affairs. But what I really enjoyed is a couple of presentations that that dealt with the FDA and and I think it's vital. 
that we explain to people and have this on file for the ones that are listening, or if you want to share this episode at some point with a new vapor that comes in. Um, I get this question a lot, Em. Uh, why is the FDA <laughs> going to regulate this as tobacco? Uh, there's there's people out there that don't know that, that vape, that the FDA is going to regulate this as tobacco. There's vape shop owners, believe it or not, I spoke to a vape shop owner that did not know that the FDA is regulating this as tobacco, which to me was mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, at this point in the game, you have to. Yeah, how do you, how do you no. invest, took a 401k out, borrowed money from the parents, opened up a vape shop, and you don't know that the FDA is going to regulate this tobacco. I mean, I, I, I literally wanted to cry because I was like, are you, are you kidding me? How do you not know this? So what I wanted to do, uh, before I talk about the regulation of the vaping products, which is a really, really interesting topic, again, I found out there in Washington, uh, what I wanted to do is talk a little bit about the history of how we came to the FDA uh, regulating um, electronic cigarettes. So if you don't know, the FDA is a federal agency that is within the U.S. Department of Health. So it's not a standalone, right? It's part of the U.S. Department of Health and human services and consists of nine centers and offices. Yeah. The FDA is uh, responsible for ensuring the, the safety and efficacy of human uh, and animal drugs, biological products, medical devices, food, cosmetics, and tobacco through the new Center for Tobacco uh, products. In 2009, uh, the Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act amended the FDCA and gave FDA the authority to regulate uh, the manufacture, distribution, and marketing of tobacco products to protect the public health, which is pretty ironic. All this was made from a deal between them and the tobacco companies, which basically at this point uh, in 2009, we figured out that the FDA will never ban cigarettes. No. Okay? So we let's just get that out of the way because I see that being used sometimes in arguments that we make, uh, oh, why not ban cigarettes? It's not going to happen. Forget it. All right? So, um, uh, but what defines a tobacco product? In this act, it's anything made or derived from tobacco that is intended for human consumption, including any component, part, or accessory of a tobacco product. But at the time, the Tobacco Control Act only gave FDA the immediate authority to regulate certain, certain types of tobacco products. At the time, it was cigarettes, Cigarette tobacco, smokeless tobacco, and roll your own tobacco. I don't have to tell you what happened to roll your own tobacco. <laughs> you already know. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, that included were other tobacco products like the hookahs, the pipe tobacco, the cigars, the e-cigarettes, and so forth and so forth. So the deeming regulation that the FDA has come down to, it basically it falls down into what they deem could be regulated as a tobacco product. And that happened now with the announcement of the deeming regulations that came back in April. Uh, where the FDA used this rulemaking authority to deem other tobacco products, uh, such as electronic cigarettes and hookahs and uh, premium cigars, some of the stuff that's on the on the uh, the deeming regulations as it is now. On April 25th, they dropped that proposed rule, and that's when everybody, well, not everybody, <laughs> some vapors went and, <laughs> and commented in the 105-day uh, open, open public comment period. Um, the attorney that was making this presentation, Azim, I'm going to have him on the show. Um, he doesn't smoke or vape, right? He was blown away by the small amount of comments that were written to the FDA. When the menthol thing came out, we had almost half a million comments when the, when the, when the menthol thing happened a few years back. Mm. Now with e-cigs, I mean, there's 25,000 people that show up at ECC in California, right? You know, you even he said I expected it to be a half a million comments on electronic cigarettes. 
When somebody that doesn't smoke and doesn't vape says that, that's pretty disheartening for people like you and me. <laughs> you have to admit that does not feel really, really good for our cause, right? No. I'm gonna have a Zemo one day and get him to ask questions. Get get people to ask him questions. He's a he's a really bright guy. I saw him in China as well too. So as we're moving ahead, the FDA now has to review by law all the comments. All the comments by law they have to review them. And then it will prepare a final rule, which will be submitted to the White House Office of Management and Budget for uh, of budget uh, management and budget for approval. Uh, the final rule must take in consideration the analysis of the comments. And we know because we we have some insight that the OBM they have announced that in June they were going to drop the regulations, but it has to go to the OMB first. Now we know that they will not be announced in June. So if you're waiting for deeming regulations in June, it won't happen because. The OMB does not have those final rules yet because we, you know, we have like an insider that we're going to, you know, be able to to let us know that, oh, the OBM has it because we knew it the last time it happened. And that usually takes two or three months. So then we can kind of guesstimate on when the regulation is going to come out. So if you're waiting for them in June, probably not going to happen. So after the OMB gets these rules, it has to approve it, and the final rule will become effective and it will be published in the Federal Register and eventually the Code of Federal Regulation. The entire notice and comment rulemaking process will likely take at least one or two years, although the FDA has stated it expects to take final action on the rule in June 2015. We know that is not going to happen. Now, here's the issues that we have with it. If the proposed rule becomes effective as drafted, the newly covered products and their components and parts will be subject to the same requirements that currently only apply to regulated tobacco products. So they're taking a one-size-fits-all approach. So the guidelines that they have on tobacco products were drafted at a time when e-cigs were not around. Right. They were not around. The e-cigs were not a reality when the draft when, when when the guidelines for tobacco products came out. So basically now they're trying to regulate a category that does not fit in the existing rule of the CTP, which poses extreme problem for us for the industry and and of course for the vapors and everybody that is using these products um the grandfather date which was set by congress uh, poses a huge problem because there's only two pathways to get your 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 product on the market substantial equivalence and new market application i talked about the path new market application in the last episode and you know it's extremely difficult and substantial equivalence doesn't apply to us because 2007 only a 401, whatever it was, 404, 901 kit was on the market. And nothing on the market today, um, nothing on the market today fits that. So we're screwed. As it sits, as it sits, we're screwed. Uh, I'm not going to use the term yet, Jake. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to use it. I'm going I'm I'm to try to keep it for, for when it's necessary. So, you know, based on the proposed requirements that they put on there, again, I'm, I'm kind of giving a little guideline, timeline so everybody understands how we got into where we are now. Um, based on the deeming regulations now, uh, you know, we have to have that this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Uh, this is part of the labeling. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Uh, of course, introduced was ban on youth sales, ban on vending machine sales, ban on free samples, and ban on authorized, unauthorized modified risk claims. That's extremely important because the FDA did send a, uh, uh, letters out the other day to three companies that were making FDA claims on their website, Knoxville Vapor, uh, K-something Vapor, and another company got letters because they were claiming that the they made their e-liquid in an FDA-approved lab. Now, M, you and me have been bitching about this for about, what, a year and a half? 
Yeah. In fact, let me tell you what I did. I went back to my timeline, my Facebook, and I saw a year ago where I had made a, a, a status post where it said, if you claim FDA anything on your yep. website and it's not approved, so if you had anything on your website except it's not FDA not approved, yeah, get out of the industry now. That was my status back then. That was a year ago, all right? Yep. So... Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. When we first started up, yeah. I had a couple um, a couple vendors send me FDA approved e liquid, and the first thing I did was I called them and said, "No, you need to get this label off your bottle because it's not true." Right. And it's something. It's something that I don't know if it's still going on now, but I, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, the Chinese manufacturers they would put an FDA stamp on it and just go ahead and sell it that way. And, yeah. and people would buy it over here in bulk and say, oh, yeah, it's FDA approved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And have no idea what the FDA actually does. <laughs> yeah, I had, there's quite a few. There's at least 20 different vendors over here that I had to ask to get yeah. the FDA mark off their bottles because that was just ridiculous. Right. Well, I mean, if once the, again, I don't believe that they're going to drop regulations anytime soon because they simply don't know how to regulate. I think they're going to try to thin out the market a little bit before they try to regulate it. Yeah, and they can do that very, very easy. All they have to do is just deem e-liquid a tobacco product, and they don't have to go through regulation process to do that. They just say all the e-liquid that exists on the market right now. I'm getting a little bit of feedback from you. Oh, sorry, might be sitting too close to the microphone. That's right. That's right. Um, all the e-liquid that's on the market now that contains nicotine, tobacco product, right? So yep. then you have to fa fall under the, the components and parts that's subject to the general control requirements of the Tobacco Control Act. And I tell this to some vendors now, and they look at me like I'm crazy. I mean, I'm literally trying to help them, M. You know, I, I can't see why I would be giving you this information if I wasn't trying to help people. And they look at me like I'm fucking crazy. If they deem this a tobacco product, it can happen overnight. Mm -hmm. Then you fall into adulteration and misbranding provisions, the facility registration under Section 905. All this is available for you, by the way. If you make juice... Just listen to this and go read it yourself. Uh, facility registration under Section 905, product and ingredient listing under Section 904, harmful and potentially harmful constituents reporting under Section 904A3, good manufacturing practices under Section 906, and pre-market review in Sections 905 and 910. All that stuff is available for you right now. Go read it and tell me if your product matches the descriptions. Because I can tell you right now, Em, that 99% of this industry does not match it. Probably not. 99% does not match it. So if you want to do yourself a favor for your company, you want to prepare yourself, go read those. And then make your product, adjust your product from now because it's coming. If it does, if you don't think it's coming, boy, are you in a, a fantasy world. <laughs> so, you know, the FDA has this rulemaking authority, which is at, at discretion, which is a really bad thing for us. They can try to come up with something. You know, I mean, I have some faith that something is going to come along that's going to allow at least a portion of the industry to carry on. As it sits right now, it's it's virtually impossible for everybody except Altria and RJR um, to to comply. And that is two products that could probably take, you know, I don't know how much money it's going to take for them to apply. Um, let me let me go through my notes here. I want to tell you a, a couple of the stuff that, that, that the alternative framework, as it was discussed, what would be beneficial right now? This is where we are with the FDA now. We're waiting for the deeming rules just to finish up the, the timeline a little bit. So we're waiting on these, this FDA rulemaking process that has to go through the OMB, and, and then we'll get the final rules. Now, when the final rules come out, that doesn't mean it's the end, right? 
Um, we're going to ask, we've already asked within our comments and, and people that have, you know, through various attorneys submitted comments to the FDA that even if they do drop the deeming rules, we would like the comment period. We would like something to, to answer to this proposed regulations. Um, there's also litigation. I'm sure there's going to be at least three or four teams ready to sue the FDA on the whatever. I think they're going to be sued no matter what the regulations are going to be. Um, so that's going to slow down a little bit the process as well, too. Uh, but in any case, if a few key things don't happen, we still have a hard time. Uh, yeah. By the way, 347, I forget, I forget to say that, I got into it real quick. 347-308-8329 if you have any questions or comments during the night's broadcast for me and M, feel free to call in and join in the fun. <laughs> never fun when i when i do a show i bring everybody down all right so what would be a couple of things that we could do obviously the new grandfather date that is something that has been uh requested i do have some information that something good is coming as well on a federal level from our side of the industry i can't give you any details but it's a good thing and hopefully that will give it some traction as well but asking for the <laughs> i can't tell you i can't tell you offline but i can't tell you that uh but Changing the grandfather date makes a lot of sense, all right? In fact, I think that the grandfather date should be whenever they drop the deeming regulations. If not now, when they announced it in April, in April yep. 2014. If, if that's the, that should be the date, if it, it, it really should be whenever they drop the rule. But, it, yeah, if it, can't, if it can't be, it will have to be April of 2014 when they first announced their intent to regulate electronic cigarettes. Also, the continuum of risk. This is something that, you know, there's evidence out there that e-cigs are appropriate for the protection of public health. In fact, they have been found to help people that would otherwise be addicted to combustible tobacco um, switch to them and, and prolong their lives. That is, a, that is a benefit to public health. But yeah. but here's, here lies one problem. The problem where here lies is that you don't want to make the product so good that it helps people quit smoking, but it also initiates use as well, too. That is a very, very thin line to walk, Em. And, yeah. and these guys at this conference were talking about it, and I was really mesmerized by that fine line that they were talking about. So at what point do you give up a little bit of let's kids start it to, sell, to, to help 480,000 Americans that are dying every year? Do you see where I'm going with this? If you make the product so good and so attractive that people want to start it, that is against what the FDA calls appropriate for the protection of public health. This is facts, guys. I'm not making this shit. I don't, I mean, I love vaping more than anything, except my wife and my kids, but this is the, the fact. If you make the product, and there's a lot of companies out there, you can't deny it. They're making a product so attractive and so appealing to kids. Just today, M, from France, I think it was, I saw a Honey Bear bottle, right? Yep. It looks like uh like the you know the the bear that the, that you put honey in it. I mean it's it's a plastic bear. Walk <laughs> into any Walmart and pick it up in the honey yeah. aisle. Explain it a little bit better, I mean, because I can't I can't describe it. I mean I just want people to understand exactly what I'm talking about. For anybody in the states, um, I don't think we have them in bears over here, but I know I've always had it in my kitchen cabinet, no matter where I lived in the states. It's just a little tiny clear plastic bear full up with honey with a little yellow top on it. Yeah. The one in France has a white top on it. Right. So this is exactly the same bottle that, yeah. that Emma's describing. It's in her kitchen with honey. It has e-liquid inside. Yeah. 
Okay, and even the name of the company was Pedo Bear. So it wasn't Pedo. I'm just making that up. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it was it was like Bear Vape or Vape Vapey Bear Vapey Bear or something similar along that. So you have to admit we're walking a very very fine line when you're talking about applying to the FDA for a um, application on a tobacco product. You can't make it where you have to make it where it's appropriate for the public health. And this is initiating use. And if it's initiating use, it will be denied. It will not be allowed to go in. So keep that in mind as an industry. Try to have a little bit of professionalism. Try to have a little bit of a try to have a little bit of a responsibility and some ethics when it comes to your product. Because I think it's extremely important. And stop sexualizing it. Yeah. Oh God. Me, I can't me, stand me, that. Start you know, I I like I like naked women as any other guy. If I didn't, I'd you know I want to be, like be a guy. Yeah, but it's it's gotten way out, way out of control. It really has. Um, and finally, uh, on this alternative framework, the use of product standards. This is something that, as an industry, we have failed miserably. I don't agree with a lot of things that I hear from Acida. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I, I got to be honest. Um, but one thing that I do agree with is that we as an industry have to have a product standard. And we yeah. don't. We don't have a There's no standardized across this industry from e-liquid manufacturers on type of bottles, type of labelings, um, childproof caps. Um, th- there's not a standard. So if you're telling the FDA, don't regulate us, you have to be able to give them back and say, hey, listen, don't regulate us because, look, the industry already has some standards. And you could say AIMSA is there. Yeah, that's great. AIMSA does a good thing, but it only has 25, 30 members, right? Okay. There's 6,000 illegal manufacturers in the United States. So yeah, I'm not saying that AIMSA is the solution. All I'm saying is that the illegal manufacturers should all get together and say, hey, listen, we need to have some standards. We need to have a standardized procedure here of how we're creating this product to give to the FDA, and we don't. So the product standards is extremely, extremely important. Back to the grandfather date. Uh, the FDA stated in the proposed deeming regulations that it does not have the legal authority to change it from 2007, and that was because the Congress is the one that passed that. And I think that we can change that with enough pressure from the congressmen if we can get together, especially businesses, associations together, to pressure their congressmen to be able to get that date and uh, changed. Uh, it is it is completely unfair for the industry, and it's completely the FDA's fault that it's taken them seven years <laughs> to get to a proposed deeming regulation. Uh, and even after seven years, you saw how long it took. After seven years to come up with a regulation that's trying to squeeze us into this Tobacco Control Act, and we just don't fit. We don't fit in that box. We don't. So um, let me finish up here with my notes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that continuum risk. The more harmful the product, the higher the regulatory burden should be. I totally agree with this. All right. So let's take some comparisons. If you want to regulate e under the CTP, regulate them under its own category. So take the tobacco cigarettes. Find the danger, find the harmful in, uh, in, in traditional combustible tobacco, and then compare it to electronic cigarettes. So, if you've set the standard for, um, if you set the standard for regulations on combustible cigarettes based on how harmful they are, then set a different standard for something that is a modified risk product, just like the electronic cigarettes. That would make more sense to me, uh, and I think it's something that Mitzeller kind of hinted to, uh, where he says, you know, you know, we believe that they are less harmful products. But yeah. uh, he actually had said that uh, the Center for Tobacco Products is exploring options for an expedited pre-market review policy based on principle 
of relative toxicity and risk. Now, if they're using the formaldehyde study for that, we're fucked. <laughs> there you go. See, Jake, it fits perfectly right there. <laughs> if they're using studies that we have out there that are against electronic cigarettes, yeah, we're fucked. And that, and, and that, in that situation, we, we, we can't, you know, we, we, we can't win. But because of the potential for e cigs to be used as a valuable tool for harm reduction, the FDA should consider only requiring e cig and e-liquid companies to prove that their products meet the established safety standards. Again, we don't have those standards. I wish that the industry would do a better job on doing it, but... They can also do that and, and demonstrate that they are appropriate for the protection of public health through those standards that the industry woulda, coulda, maybe will have one day. Um, what are the benefits of flavored e-liquids? That's something that we're going to have a huge task against this. In fact, the presentation that I give in China, I'm going to talk about it here in a little bit. Uh, that was one of my key points, flavored e-liquids. Uh, of course, the likelihood of dual use and what benefits that has. And, uh, and you know, there's no evidence so far that... I don't know where these quotes are coming for that e-cigs are a gateway to tobacco. There, I can't possibly see anybody picking up a cinnamon bun, dripping it, and you know, and enjoying a cinnamon bun, and then saying, oh, "Fuck, you know what I really want now? An ashtray in my mouth. That's what I really want now. I want some ash. Just rub some ash in my mouth now after that beautiful cinnamon bun. It just doesn't. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. And I don't think that a lot of these politicians are grasping that. Um, it's one of the things too that's being d said over here is you know it's a gateway into smoking and there's no like you said there's no evidence to back it up none uh, that's not how this works as the lady says in uh, uh, in that head. that's not how any of this works I'm gonna unfriend you I'm gonna take you off my wall hold on I got a phone call <laughs> 201 you're on the air with Smoke Free Radio hey what's going on Dimitri it's Russ hey Russ what's up buddy not too much I have a question for you Sure. about what you think is going to happen with warning labels on e-liquid bottles. And this is in the context of what just happened over the past week or so yeah. to, Swedish, uh, to Swedish Match, yeah. uh, who makes uh, snus. So they, they submitted a modified risk of back. Uh, well, th what they did was they, they tried to get their label changed because their labels for, uh, for the snus says that it causes all kinds of problems with the mouth and gums that right. don't actually happen. They had the science on their side. They were rejected. Now, as everybody knows right now, a pack of cigarettes tells you all about the horrible things that it does to your lungs and right. stuff, and those, those claims may be true. But in light of what happened to Swedish Match and in light of the fact that e-liquid will be regulated as a tobacco product and it is something that is inhaled, what do you think the likelihood is for us to have similar warning labels on e-liquid uh, that would be congruent with what's on a pack of cigarettes? That is a great question, Russ. Um, first of all, it's unfortunate what happened with Snus. Okay? I mean, that's literally, yes. it, it's, it's literally a disgrace. It's a, it's, a, it's a public health crime, in my opinion, for the FDA to do that. But that, yes. that is that discretion clause that I talked about a little bit earlier, where they say at the discretion, right? And, and that's another thing that the, uh, just to sidetrack real quick, on the applications that we're talking about, because we have some industry uh, leaders now in the e-liquid industry saying, I'm going to submit my application, I got my investors, I got my money. Guess what? You can submit an application, and the FDA says, I don't like one word in your application, and all the couple millions that you spent on that application goes down the drain. They can just reject it. You know, they could just say, well, we're not going to take this application at all, which is really, really unfortunate. So the label, I think, again, I'm going to speculate here based on the information and the intelligence that I have. I think that the label is going to be required on the nicotine only. 
I don't think it's going to be required on the final product. It's going to be required for products that contain nicotine, and I think they're going to be specific to the nicotine itself only and not to the total exhaled vapor, which poses another question to me, to you, well, not to you, but it kind of brings up another point, is what are they going to do with flavors, <laughs> right? So that gives you another indication that if they do go that route for the nicotine only warning label, they're probably going to eliminate flavors as well, too. Well, I mean, this is, well, the, the, what they did with cigarettes and, and the flavorings of cigarettes, I mean, we, everybody knows what happened. They banned everything but menthol. Right. I think it would be extremely optimistic to think that they wouldn't do the same with e-liquid. Oh, yeah, absolutely right. And that's why I'm thinking that the labels will go that route as well, too. I mean, I think you're going to have like a menthol, wintergreen, or whatever. You might have an acceptable range of flavors. Uh, but overall, the, the status that it is now, no. Especially more and more information that's coming out with Dicedo and AP and some of the other stuff that's in the in the flavorings. The flavorings is the big unknown anyway in e-cigs, and there's no way with no long-term studies for them to allow the wide variety of flavors that's being used now. Uh, and they'll have to be specific, specific companies, specific, you know, uh, flavor profiles, obviously, for marketing. But listen, you know, Russ, I see it this way. As soon as it hits the CTP, this is what another thing people understand. They say that in the deeming regulations, they said they're not going to touch flavors. That is bullshit. They can't touch flavors until they deem the product a tobacco product. Once they deem it a tobacco product, that opens up the door to do anything that they want to with it. They can ban flavors. They can ban online sales. They, they can pretty much ban anything that they want to that fits the CTP guideline. So back to your original question, the labeling, I think it will be specific to the nicotine content of it, and it will be warnings on the nicotine, not the exhaled vapor uh, when it comes to e-liquid. Well, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It no. It certainly could be much worse. It could it could, it could, be much worse, yeah. And and listen, look look at the labels from views. Read a label from the back of the views. That will answer your question immediately. Because what views has done in the back, again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, Russ. You know me. You've known me for years. I called this a year and a half ago when I said the deal has already been made. Look at the back of the views and what they say. They say this is a tobacco product. It contains nicotine. And then it gives you three lines of warnings on nicotine for pregnant women, high blood pressure, blah, 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 blah. Nicotine is addictive. It doesn't really talk about the e-cig itself. It talks about the nicotine. What does RJR know that we don't know? Just look at it. Go open up and read it. I hope you talk about it in your next show because that right there will tell you exactly how the labeling will have to go. Fair enough. Thanks, Russ. I appreciate it, buddy. Cheers. That was Russ, everybody. Uh, Click Bang Radio here Tuesday nights on the VP Live Network. Um, again, we're going grim, M. It's grim. Things are <laughs> grim. But, uh, yeah. All right, let me continue on this, uh, this continuum risk uh, before I get into the regulation portion of it. Um, because of the potential, I said, of, a, of the E6 to be used as a valuable tool for, for tobacco harm reduction, this is the best-case scenario that I'm taking, okay? The, what I talked about with Russ is the bad case scenario. That's the worst case scenario possible. But there is this possibility that maybe after lawsuits and maybe after everything settles down, that we do see this modified risk category for electronic cigarettes. And that is probably the only thing that will save the industry, okay? Um, the flavored e-liquids we said is going to be a big problem. The likelihoods of dual use. Uh, and definitely there is no evidence right now that that, uh, that e-cigs are a gateway to, to tobacco. Um, the standards. Who has standards in the United States except AMSA, M. Um, no one else that I'm aware Absolutely of. none. Absolutely none. There are no standards available in the industry, which I think is a horrible mistake. I think that if, 
if vendors could get together, they don't have to be part of AIMSA, they don't have to be part of CASA, they don't have to be part of SFADA, they just need to get together and come up with a set of standards to be able to give to the FDA if the time comes where the FDA requires it. How are we going to be able to combat the attack from the FDA when we don't have any weapons? All we're saying is, don't regulate us. No, don't regulate us. Well, that doesn't work. No. Grab a drink, grab, drink, drink of water. Go ahead. <laughs> that's, uh, I guess that's where we benefit over here with ACETA, with, like you said before, about having the standards over here. I think they're called the ISEs, mm-hmm. uh, the Industry Standard of Excellence. And I know that trading, stand- <laughs> trading standards over here has said that it's um, – it's actually really good set of standards, and I know that they're going through some changes right now um, and modifying them because of the TPD. Right. And they're supposed to be releasing them to the public, as far as I'm aware, within the next month or two. Right. So we'll have an idea, and their standards could technically be a baseline for somebody in the States. Yeah. I mean, because that's one of the things over here is when I when I hear in the States – or I get a delivery from the States and it's an e-liquid and it doesn't have a childproof cap on it. I'm like, what the hell? Or it doesn't have, you know, the nicotine labels or, you know, anything on it that says no under 18s. Yeah. Or I'm just, I get really upset because over here in the UK where vaping didn't, you know, initially start and it wasn't a big thing until a couple of years ago here. And the States has been doing it for so long. How come they're so far behind and people here in the UK seem to have gotten their act together yeah. when it comes to labeling and the child, you know, the, the tamper-proof bottles. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I don't agree with uh, with Peter Beckett a lot. Uh, actually, I don't agree with him a lot, a lot. <laughs> but one thing that, was, that, was, that kind of stood out to my head is he was, at the, he was at this conference as well, too. Like, he was mind-blowing we don't have child-proof packaging as a standard. He was mind-blowing. Like, yeah. in 2015, the United States were selling nicotine without child-proof packaging. And, and I agree with him. That's probably the only thing I agree with. There's a question here in the chat that says, what about candy makers, bakers, and others who cook uh, with and or around the flavors we use? Would there not be some slight evidence to help us? No, because ingestion is very, very different than inhalation. In fact, in in Washington, there was a new company there that um, had a speaker. The guy owns the company. It's called uh, Die Bold uh, Flavorings. They're like a a gourmet flavoring company. And he talked about his struggle trying to work with some of these smaller companies and uh, and he doesn't like he he only work with companies that he can visit and see their facilities and see how serious they are and how they're doing the packaging and all that. The flavoring companies now, especially after the letter they got from FEMA, which is not the FEMA that you know, it's the Flavoring uh, Manufacturers Association. The flavoring companies are even more hesitant now to involve their names in uh, manufacturing of e-liquid for the simple reason they probably got triggered by attorneys. I'm going to tell you what, that's probably what scared them. I thought at first when when I saw this happening, I thought it was maybe the FDA. And I thought it was maybe the um, uh, some kind of agency sent him a letter saying, hey, you shouldn't be working with EC. I think it's attorneys because if let's say somebody does get sick, let's say somebody does get sick using, you know, your e-liquid, uh, everybody in the chain will get that lawsuit. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, the e-liquid manufacturer might be a small business, might not have a lot of money. Who are they going to go after next? They're going to go after the flavor company because yeah. that's where the money's at. So I, we, I think we have to, 
to really be careful with, with the flavoring companies and how we bring them into the picture. Would we like to help them? Yeah. They've been selling this shit to us for seven years now. They, you know, they didn't have any problem then. Oh, yeah, here you go. They're just increasing. Their, but now that e-cigs have gotten big, they're all putting their tail in between their legs, which sucks. It sucks for us. It sucks for all the manufacturers. It sucks for all the, for the e-liquid companies. But... The truth is that the flavoring company is all about profits. They don't care about vapors. They don't care where they sell their, pro- their, their product. They don't care about this industry. It's okay. unfortunate. And hell, in, in VPX and ECC, I saw Capella selling, selling vanilla custard version one for a tryout. What the fuck? I mean, we know it has that seal inside. Why would you have it out there? Yeah. You know? I, and I, I like the guys from Capella. I don't want to think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm bashing them. But I'm, I'm kind of bashing the fact that they had, you know, custard V1 out there. We know that it has diacetyl and AP. Why would you have it there? It sucks. You have to take responsibility. Have some ethics. Anyway, so um, the flavoring companies not not our friends. Not on the same side. Um, so uh, standards are needed immediately. I'm not saying AIMSA standards. Again, don't take it that way. That I'm saying everybody should follow AIMSA. But what do you have, right? What do you have to show that your product is safe? What do you have that you have child-resistant packaging? Do you have the proper labeling on there? Absolutely nothing. It's a free-for-all, and you've seen it. Yeah. And you've seen it with the bottlings and some of the stuff that goes out and, and some of the stuff that exists in the market right now. I don't have to tell you. You just go on Facebook and look at the shit that exists out there. And sometimes I pull my hair. In fact, today when I saw that bear thing, I sent a message to Phil. And uh, I do that all the time. Like, I'll send him a picture or a link, and then I'll write on the bottom, we're fucked. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I greet him in the morning. I would have had a perfect one for you on Twitter today. Um, yeah, go ahead. This uh, a company, I can't remember the name of it now. They tweeted a picture of a mod that is the grip of a handgun. And it's got a Derringer mm-hmm. dripper mm-hmm. on top of it. And uh-huh. he's talking about how badass it is. And I'm like, no, that's the fucking stupidest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And he's like... No, but maybe it doesn't fit the masses. And I said, no, it shouldn't be promoted at all. It's a, yeah. it's the a grip of a handgun. All you have to do is modify it a little bit. Some kid puts a freaking thing on it and goes outside and gets Ugh. shot. And it's a fucking e-cig, you know? Ugh. The shit these people are doing. Stop it. I want to be a fly on the on the wall when this company is having a meeting on how to label or name their juices. I mean, I really want to know, like, what brilliant minds are sitting in this conference room that say, okay, what are we going to call our juice? Why don't we just call it Sour Batch? That's a fantastic name. You know, like the Sour Patch Kids? That's exactly how we should. Oh, no, no, no I got a bit of Juicy E-Juice. Yeah, like the juicy box that the kids think. That's what we should name. And, I mean, everybody, what's everybody clapping around? Oh, you're fucking brilliant. I'm going to give you a raise. You should fire that guy. You should give him a raise. You should fire him. Don't hold him up. All right. 347-308-8329. Press 1. Uh, I see there's somebody on hold. I don't know if they want to speak. If you want to speak, please let me know. Um, uh, all right. Before, uh, let me finish this product standards. We also have to talk about devices as well because we don't have any standard products uh, the, for the devices. That, we don't have any standards for the devices. And I'm not talking about temperature monitoring, which I believe will be the future. But, you know, limiting. You have to be able to limit. We know that there's formaldehyde exhaled on dry puff phenomenon. We have to have devices that can be able to detect that in order to have a device that's going to be out there that might be accepted. Safety features, of course, auto shut-off capability, short-circuit protection, battery charger stands, consistent uh, delivery of nicotine, which is part of the study that we did uh, with Dr. Fasadinos for China. So we have to be able to show all that to the regulators before we put our products out there, and we don't. I mean, I see devices, thankfully they're not commercially marketed yet, with 16, 18, 650 batteries in there. 
And I know you're going to say, Dimitri, that's an enthusiast. It's a hobbyist. You know, he did it for fun. Some dumbass in China is blowing that shit <laughs> exactly. and accepts it. Exactly. An idiot in the UK or in the States is going to buy it and be like, oh my God, look how amazing this is. <laughs> yes. It's exactly what's going to happen. And you know it just as well as I do. We we see more and more of these subboom tanks coming out. Phil did, uh, I saw a comment in the chat. I'm going to talk about it. Um, Phil did a video today on subbomb tanks, and I've talked to him about this subject for the past two or three weeks. I'm the one that actually directed the question to Dr. Fasalinas for him, and then him and Dr. F got together. I mean, we're seeing these subbomb tanks now come out of China, 0 0.3, 0.2 ohm commercial coils. And that's fine as long as you know safety and battery safety and what device to use it with. That's fine. But it's they're, they're going through 15, 20 mils of liquid a day, Ems. Okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm not a doctor. I mean, Dr. F has given his opinion, and, and Phil talked about it in his video, and I, I highly suggest everybody go watch the first seven minutes of, of Phil's video. But just common sense tells you that if there's traces, if there's traces of, of nitrosamines or traces, traces of toxins in e-cig vapor, which are very, very low, right? They're not going to harm us uh, when you're vaping three or four mils a day. Just the fact that you're multiplying that by five in volume – Right, because yeah. you're going from five mils a day, you're going to thirty, right? Just by volume alone, that number of nitrosamines and toxins multiplies by five. So you don't have to be a scientist it's to a to figure out that the more volume you go, the more chances you're going to have. That is just common sense. Yeah. So we have to test that out. We have to have the facts and we have to have the data. We don't. And what China is doing, China is responding to the market. That's all they're doing. You know, it went from the Atlantis coming out to 15 sub-bomb tanks, and everybody's going that direction. I think that's going to die off here pretty soon. Once vapors figure out that they're spending $30 every day for juice, because <laughs> I yeah. think a lot of them haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> but once they figure it out, I think that fat is going to die as well, too, just like everything else in, in, in vaping. But China's just responding to what the market wants. So they're putting all these devices, untested devices out there, no testing on materials. That's something that I'm pushing for the next study. No testing on the materials, no testing on the vaporation, you know, the, 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 the aerosol that's, that's, that's coming out of 30 mils a day at 0.2, the volume of it. There's no testing. How does a company put out a, a product like that without doing some testing on it? They don't. They're just trying to beat to the market. So to me... To, it's unfortunate, but we don't have any e-liquid or device standards. That's what I'm trying, That's my final thought, by the way. <laughs> we don't have any standards on devices and e-liquids right now, aside from the few handful like AIMSA and maybe a couple of the companies that are trying to do something on their product standards. Nothing else. Nothing. Uh, I don't know if this guy wants to talk to two or two. You're on there. Do you want to speak? I'm sorry. The, I got a new board, so I'm not sure if you wanted to, to participate. Uh, you know what, man? I'm, I'm just listening. But... <laughs> What's up? I'm I'm just listening. On, okay, okay. On my phone. I, you got I, it. I you got really it. have a comment. No, no, no problem. No problem. I just want to. I got it's got a new switchboard. I didn't know if we want to talk. So hang on. Okay, just listen up. All right. All right, Thanks. we got it. All right. All right. One of the things I wanted to ask you. Um, what is what is the the Chinese association called? Is it Sevia? It's Sevia. Yeah. Are they coming up with any standards? No. They're not. They're trying to, but their problem is, again, just like we have competition here, yeah. they're having cockfighting within Sevia as well, too. Uh, and I'll get to that when I get to the Chinese thing. But the Sevia Shenzhen Electronic Vaporizer Industry Association was newly formed. It was actually spearheaded by James by Enikin. The big three are on there, Kanger Enikin and, um, and E-Gate, and also some smaller companies. Hanson is on there, Smoke. 
uh, Feel Life, uh, Heaven's Gifts, uh, a couple more smaller companies are, are on Sevilla. But the problem that they have as well, too, is is like how their competition, it's, it's kind of like here. Like try to get two e-liquid manufacturers in a room, right? Um, something that I'm trying to do here in the next month, I'm trying to get some big e-liquid manufacturers in a room and try to guide them and say, hey, listen, let's try to get some standards out, right? But one is going to say, because, you know, the other guy's a competitor, well, I don't agree with that. You know, I don't agree with his opinion or that we have to have this on the bottle. And and then that beca- that becomes a fight and, there's, and nothing results out of it. The same thing has happened in China as well, too. Yeah, They're competing against each other. The market is getting more and more tight. In fact, since the last time I was in China, I was there three months ago, 1,200 new ESIC companies have spurted up. Oh 1,200. And you know how they spurted up? It's people that work at Kanger or Anakin. They're, you know, one of the engineers, one of the sales staff leaves <laughs> and goes and opens up their own company. They hire three or four people and they make an ESIC company. So the competition is fierce. There's a lot of competition and there's a lot of cockfighting amongst them as well, too. But at least they did something. You know, they funded that study. So I can't say, I can't blame them, you know, 100, 100% about it. But uh, they, they did fund a study. So here's a little interesting uh, tidbit that I, that I want to bring up. People say that e-cigs are not, uh, this is topic two, by the way. Um, people say that e-cigs are not regulated, right? Which is completely untrue. It is not true. They're not regulated by the FDA. But there is a lot of regulation currently on a federal level for vaping products. Did you know that? I did. Ah, good for you. You're bright. We have the same thing over here, too. That's why you are my co-host. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. Uh, The FTC uh, rules over the fairness and marketing practices and truthfulness and product claims. Uh, In fact, the FTC, go through my notes here, uh, sent uh, a letter. They recently conducted uh, an investigation on a firm, uh, I'm not going to name the name, uh, that violated a couple of parts of the Federal Trade Commission in connection with a company's advertising, marketing, and sale of its e-cigarette products. The commission's inquiry focused in part on whether the firm had adequate substantiation for its representations that its e-cigarettes do not contain toxic chemicals and will not damage a user's lung. So that is part of the FTC regulating the products here in the United States. So if you're making a claim that, hey, use my electronic cigarette or my e-liquid, and it will not damage your lugs or does not contain toxic chemicals, that is against the FTC ruling right now. So that means that that department, that Federal Trade Commission, is overseeing vaping as well, even though vaping is not regulated by the FDA. Uh, firms that sell, advertise, and or market e cigarettes This is part of the FTC rules, by the way. Okay? Just don't, don't, don't I'm not making this shit up. <laughs> Uh, firms that sell, advertise, and or market e-cigarettes must be aware of all regulatory requirements applicable to their activities, which are not solely limited to the deeming regulations proposed by the FDA. So you have to be aware that these other bodies, which I'm going to talk about now, are keeping an eye on you, and they might send you letters, or you might be in default of the FTC, just like that company that was making the claims that their e-cigarettes are not toxic. And, you know, they're, they're kind of hit and miss with who they contact. Like, when they contact Knoxville Vapor for the FDA thing, I was kind of shocked. Because uh, Knoxville Vapor doesn't make e-liquid. But they buy e-liquid from various places, and probably one of the labs that they buy e-liquid from probably told them, oh, yeah, we've got an FDA-approved lab. We're ready for the FDA. You know, <laughs> like a lot of these fucking people do in this industry. And and they probably took that, and they just put it on their website. Oh, yeah, well, our e-liquid is made an FDA-approved lab. 
uh, which is completely false. You can't claim that because the FDA does not regulate e-cigs, for crying out loud. I'm not saying that their lab is not FDA, you know, meets the standards. It probably does. But there is no standard for e-cigs. You know, there's no standards for e-liquid. You can't say that it's made in an FDA-approved lab. So it wasn't really Knoxville's Vapor's fault. I was kind of surprised that they got the letter and not other companies that I've seen out there claim FDA bullshit. Uh, moving along. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, CSPC, General Consumer Product Safety and Performance and Labeling for Battery Devices. Vaping products, they have a clause under that uh, for their products. So if you are... Um, you know, if, if you had some kind of mislabeling on your battery that you put in your mod or whatever, you might be found liable under the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. The U.S. Federal Communications Commission, that is for wireless device operation, electrical interference of batteries and devices, internet broadcasting, as well as terrestrial and satellite broadcasting. You know, some of these pulse width modulation devices, uh, when you hit them, like if you're on a phone, they actually interfere. Or yeah. I've, I remember when I was doing a video a while back when the first pulse with modulation it was a few years back and I was here in my house I hit the button I was like what the hell was that it was it was interfering with my with my with my microphone um, the US Customs and Border Protection that's another body a federal regulation body that uh, vaping this, this is number four by the way so far uh, for general importation controls inside of sanitary standards and collection of import duties and fees now I'm not saying that there's a lot of people out there that don't pay you know duty fees but, you know, you have to understand that this is a body that controls the importation of electronic cigarettes, you know, from China mostly, but other parts of the world as well, too, uh, to collect taxes and collect import duties um, on products that you bring in. U.S. Customs and Border Protection, that is another federal uh, body that regulates vaping products. Number four. Number five, the U.S. Department of Transportation, the DOT. Uh, interstate shipping of potentially hazardous materials, for example, lithium-EM batteries, nicotine-containing e-liquid by transportation companies, commercial rail shipments, or common carriers. That is another body. How many times have we seen, you know, how to ship lithium batteries? Uh, some of the nicotine shipments that are going around have to have the proper paperwork and the labeling on the drums and so forth and so forth. Uh, of course, the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, for air shipment of lithium-ion batteries and personal use of vaping products by travelers on aircraft. They just now recently released to not put batteries into your checked baggage and to take the batteries and everything on your carry-on. That way the batteries will not be in the cargo area where they can explode and cause you know, a, a, a product to, you know, to, a plane to blow up. Please don't, because I'm flying a lot lately, so keep your shit on you. <laughs> don't put it on the bottom. Um, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA, for organic certification and labeling. This I did not know. Let me tell you what was funny. There's a couple of companies that received letter. This has not been public yet, but it will be. There's a couple of companies, uh, M, that is reviewing organic claims on vape products. And uh, they are expected within the two, three, in two, three weeks to start issuing warning letters to companies that are claiming organic products. The guy that made this presentation said there's only one product on the market right now that is can make that claim. So I have no reason to believe him. He's an attorney for one of the biggest tobacco companies in the world. So if this guy says there's only one product, it's an e-cig with a cartridge that is a tobacco flavor. One product only meets the organic claim. Everything else that's on the market that claims organic, all right, organic is in default with a USDA. In default. So anyway, you see out there, unless they're saying organic flavored, organic flavored, you know, that's fine. But if you're claiming that your product is 100% organic, 
uh, most likely, well, 99.9999% of the time, uh, you're in default, and you might get a letter from the USDA. So double-check your organic claims. It's funny how that process for organic has to go as well, too, Em. He kind of explained it. It was a little bit you know, hard to follow. Yeah. But to apply to get that organic claim, like this tobacco company, they were using the tobacco extract from a tobacco leave, and uh, it was like an entire process to get to, you know, it doesn't have any added nicotine inside. Uh, they were basically using the nitrosamines from the tobacco leave itself. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was really extensive, really, really difficult. But there's nothing, nobody out there that claims organic. You're not, is where I wanted to get. Yeah. Uh, all right. There's more. I think it's more. How many do we have over there? Seven. That's seven federal, seven federal uh, agencies so far regulating vaping products. And they're saying we're not regulated? Come on. Yeah, it's not regulated. <laughs> uh, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, they have a designation right now that says vaping products uh, are uh, labeled paraphernalia when marketed or sold as suitable for use with a controlled drug or substance. So if you have a controlled drug that uses a vaporizer, right, that vaporizer is drug paraphernalia. In fact, here in Tennessee, they tried to pass a bill. We squashed it and didn't pass. But there was a bill on the table this year labeling uh, vaporizers as drug paraphernalia. And, and, and it was clearly stated for use with an illegal substance. Um, so it didn't fit our category. But here's the problem that I had with, with that bill. I had the problem is, like, if somebody's driving down, the, you know, the highway and they're vaping, they might get pulled over. You know, yeah. I mean, this, this, is, this opens up doors for all kinds of bullshit. And once we explain and all that, the bill was dropped. But uh, keep in mind, the DEA, another federal agency that regulates vaping. Uh, USPS, of course, for mailing a potential hazardous material or drug paraphernalia through the mail or by common carrier, FedEx, UPS, DHL, TNT. Uh, I don't have to explain that. Self-explanatory. The EPA, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, this is very, very interesting. How many illegal manufacturers out there think you think uh, uh, adhere to this rule? Manufacturer, wholesale, and retail wastewater discharge of potentially hazardous chemicals and safe disposable, uh, disposal of battery devices. How many times have I said, fucking vape stores, start a recycling thing for your batteries? Please. You know, have, yeah. a, have a bin in there where the people throw their batteries and, and show proper recycling. And how many e-liquid manufacturers out there mix nicotine, mix nicotine, right? And then they take it and they throw it away. Yeah. You know, where anybody can pick it up, you know, if you don't have the proper disposal of, you know, the the, the nicotine and the, and the utensils that you're using and all that. So the EPA, the EPA is another agency that is regulating vaping right now. You might not know it. Uh, this is a good one, right? The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is going to start hitting the fan this, this year a lot, and we've already seen it. I know there's a company out there right now that has, it's a big company. Again, I'm not going to name any names because they're my friends. Um, they have a thousand flavors, right? A thousand flavors. Mm-hmm. They have about 18 cease and desist letters for names of their products. <laughs> Guess where all they're from? Tobacco companies. Jeez. Mm, <laughs> all of them from tobacco companies. And in, in, they've been in business for a long time. And then I was thinking, I was talking to them. I was like, why do you think they didn't approach you before? And I think what these tobacco companies are doing, they're waiting for some of these companies to get big. <laughs> you know, if you're a small guy and you're selling, you know, 200 bottles a month online, I don't think anybody's going to come after you. Mm-hmm. But once you get and you're opening four or five stores and you have, you know, uh, you know, five, six million dollars coming in. Hey, that opens up the door <laughs> to get into some money. Um, we're going to see a lot of this trademark infringement coming down this year. 
uh, not only from from outsiders, but within the industry as well, too. I think you're going to see a more, more of an enforcement on patents and on, on trademark registration, on corporate logos and so forth and so forth. As this industry is getting bigger, people are going to protect their, um, their intellectual. And finally, of course, the FDA, uh, which is the last one on my list, uh, among with everything else that I had over there, uh, for vaping products that are marketed with therapeutic claims, uh, such as helps you quit, improves breathing, helps you lose weight. Such products are currently regulated as a drug or a medical device under the broader meaning of the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic, Cosmetics Act. As such, new drug and device applications should be filed to support such claims before their products can be authorized uh, for sale in the United States. So even if you are a vaping company and you're advertising that your product, you know, you're not using it for, for to quit smoking, but you're using it because it helps you lose weight, you're in default. You're regulated by the FDA right now, and it should be a, that's a medical cessation claim. So you should file under the FDA uh, for uh, application for that. So basically, what I'm trying to say, um, to make a long story short, <laughs> I counted how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, twelve. Twelve agencies under the federal guidelines right now that regulate vaping products. So if you are in the industry and you are a manufacturer, a vendor, distributor, or even a vape shop owner, and you don't know these things, get out. Please. Get out now. Because I just told you right now 12 agencies that you probably never even heard of, and you're putting out products into the market. Um, Go ahead, Em. No, it's it's kind of the same thing over here is you get, you know, uh, companies that start up and they don't realize um, that there's 17 consumer regulations here in the UK mm-hmm. that cover yeah. much everything about electronic cigarettes. So you get these people in the news are saying, oh, we're not regulated. It's bullshit. We are. It's just a matter of condensing it down so that we can put it on a piece of paper and say, look, here you go. This is what's controlling right, us right. right now. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, it's, you, you find a lot of good information if you monitor this stuff Yeah. for not only – you know, from a responsibility and professionalism, but also from an ethics standpoint as well, too. There has to be some kind of, I know it's difficult, but we're not big corporations. We can't say fuck the ethics like uh, like RJR does. Their only goal is to increase the profits of the shareholders. That's not us. We're not big vapor, <laughs> you know? I mean, as much as we joke around, we're not big. You have to have some ethics. Yeah. But it's not there yet our industry is so immature and so uneducated on the subject that they really need to to spend the time to understand that there are bodies out there that enforce the law right now and the big one is coming with the fda at some point that's going to really change the picture of vaping industry not only in the u.s but you know globally as well too interestingly enough um to continue on that topic after i left washington this this was my journey right i left chattanooga i went to washington um, from Washington, I flew up to New York at the Niagara Falls for the ECC VPX. And, you know, the ECC is more of a kind of cloud-blowing thing. You know, it's more of the West Coast-style uh, industry. So it was good to see him come to Niagara Falls. This is Niagara Falls sucks. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's it sucks. As a town, it sucks. Really nothing to see there. You see the falls, and that's it. There's, there's really nothing else. So it was nice to see a meet come in. Had a huge economic impact for the city. From uh, from the casino, the casino told us they did a million and a half more uh, than what they averaged for that day, the day before the event started. 
So, I mean, a million and a half is is a great economic impact, I think, uh, just for the casino alone. Imagine the hotels, uh, the restaurants, the bars, all vapors drink, all vapors tip well. Uh, I can't tell you how many comments we got from waitresses saying, oh, we loved you guys. Come back next year because everybody was tipping so good. And everybody, they're they're not used to that, I guess, you know. So we had a great economic impact in the town for, for the event. In fact, they got invited to go back next year, which is great. It's great to see a city... Um, you know, or event uh, event coordinator invite somebody back, right? Um, the, the event itself wasn't as busy as other ECCs. You know, obviously, you're not going to have the turnout that you're going to have in California. Uh, got to see a few Canadians that came down to. Got to meet a few people that I've never met before. To me, it's always always nice to to uh, to sit around and talk to people that I've met online for a while and I've never met before in person. Uh, the event itself, other than that, you know, there was, a, you know, there was the bottle throwing, you know, the hot chicks and all that. All that's part of that ECC. I get it. It's okay. Um, a lot of good things happened, though, at this event that nobody talked about. Um, the bad stuff, right? The bad stuff is you get people walking out of there with 3,000 mils of juice, and that has to stop. I was in this Western New York group, and this guy was posting this picture. His bed, it was a queen-size bed, was full of juice, I don't know how many bottles he had. And he's posting on there and says, oh, this is my haul, right? <laughs> said, what the fuck? I mean, these vendors, you, you can't give away that much shit. I mean, you, you kill the industry in Niagara Falls. Who's going to go buy juice now? I mean, his entire bed end was full of juice, right? So that that's bad. I think if you want to give a sample of your juice, give him a five mil, you know, bottle, market sample, let him try it out, and then let him go buy it. If you're just whoring out the product like they are, I mean, they were just literally emptying these cases of bottles on the crowd. It was it was out of control. Um, the good, Andy and CJ uh, from Vapor Trail started a big uh, fundraiser to to raise money to fund the lobbyists in New York. This is the first time I've ever seen that kind of a you know, passion from these guys when it comes to advocacy. They're known doing the wrestling and the funny stuff and they do on YouTube and all that. But uh, I think they realized this year that, you know, especially with some of the local bands that they saw in their areas and the state stuff that's happening in New York, trying to ban uh, open vapor, uh, they kind of took it serious. So Andy went around and uh, and raised, I think, $35,000 through the whole event, yeah, from, from different donations and, and contributions from from the vendors that were there. Out-of-state out vendors were given a lot of money as well, too, which was, was really, really refreshing. Uh, so I hope they take this money, and I hope they do something positive around it. A state like New York is very, very hard to organize because it's so spread, you know. It's spread around. Uh, but uh, somebody said 40000 Yeah, it's great. 40000 I think 50000 was the goal. But uh, but the race forty thousand. That's that's really really good. Uh, you know what I'd like to see? You know I'd like to see ECC step up and say, well I'll give you the rest ten. You know how much is it? You wanted fifty? Here's ten from the ECC because they make a lot of money. You know these shows make a lot of money, M. So I would love to see somebody from the ECC step up and say, well we came to this town, we made money. Here's ten thousand dollars from the ECC to uh, to um, to make that fifty, and everybody would be would be happy. Um, I don't see a lot of uh, a lot of events do that um vcc did it vcc has spent a lot of money on advocacy um they've joined a lot of these state associations but i think they're the only they're the only convention that actually spends money on advocacy and uh, and trust me it's not cheap to get a booth at these places yeah. my 10 by 20 is about four grand you know you have 200 vendors inside there i don't know how much the premium sponsors and all that bullshit is but i'm sure it's expensive uh i'm sure co-presenter would be fifty thousand or something around that take ten thousand you know, don't don't buy a new watch next week. Ten, take ten thousand and give it to them. You're in their state. You made money. 
you know, contribute back. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, um, yeah I see Steve says with the vendors and the companies, they're 50K. Yeah, it's, it, it shouldn't be, but obviously it is. Uh, another good thing that happened, which was a first to me, I don't know if you uh, uh, you remember in the last show how I ended it last week, or the last show that I did, where I talked about Jonathan, uh, J, you know, JT Vape Stars, and how I've seen him transition into this advocate, you know, going from reviews and trying to get people motivated, and I, I commended him, and I think we should commend people that do that. Uh, it's, after that, there was a big kind of thing happened within reviewers as well, too, and we kind of discussed it in this private reviewers uh, uh, group that we're in. Um, let's all do a video on this was actually triggered by one of Nick Grim Green's viewers to do a video on a stick battery and I th I'm sure you saw the videos that came out last week all the reviewers did a one video with uh, with a Sigalike and uh, basically calling it the future of vaping if we don't get activated right now if we don't advocate everybody's going to be vaping on a stick battery and and you know I have to commend these guys for stepping up and doing it finally you know I've been doing it for a very long time I'm tired let somebody else step up and do it but it's nice to see the reviewers step up and do some of this stuff because this new generation of reviewers, and I call them the new generation, you know, from from Suck My Mod to Ruby Roo, uh, they're all great kids. I mean, all great people. Uh, and they have a huge following as well, too. They have a lot of people that watch their videos. And, and they can do so much. They have so much power to sway. They have power to sway elections. They have pe power to sway vapors to get involved. Use that power put down the you know the hottest and the newest tank that comes out of China and spend a few minutes every week to educate your viewers and try to get this advocacy things to happen so I think it was great to see that happening and at ECC we did have a roundtable kind of discussion that was spearheaded by the militia and Joe Barnett uh, and it was me CJ the Vaping Monkey Grim Green Matt uh, Cully from Suck My Mod uh, Andy from Vapor Trails and I think Freeze from uh, from Vapor Slam so we kind of did a little roundtable discussion um, the, the audience was, uh, you know, <laughs> not a lot of people, <laughs> I gotta admit, cause, cause M, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard, you know, I mean, you're, you're at ECC, right? Let's say you're, let's say you're a vapor M, right? And you go to an ECC, right? Never been to, uh, to meet before. And you have all these people down here, you know, tossing you, you know, gallons of juice. And then you have us five dummies on the stage talking advocacy. Where would you go? You can hang out with cool kids. Yeah, you can go get the free shit. And I don't blame you. I would too. You know, <laughs> if I went to me, or if there's a hot chick down at the table, you know, giving out juice, I would go down this year. I, I you can't blame me for me. So it's really difficult to advocate in that setting. But at least it was something positive that happened. We all got, kind of got together and passed the microphone and gave some ideas, trying to get people motivated and triggered. So. That was a very good, positive thing that happened, and the money that Andy uh, from Vapor Trails raised, um, that was a very good thing that happened. So, at least from this meet, it wasn't just all tits, ass, and juice. It was it was tits, ass, and juice, and at least a little bit of advocacy as well. Though. So, so, so it, was, uh, it was pretty good. So, where did I go from there? Oh, okay, so ECC ends. Now, Lee from New York, let me tell you, this is, a, this is a, not, not vaping related. But um, Saturday night, uh, after the event, uh, we got together at the bar. Uh, Chris Hughes was up with his wife from PA. Great couple. Love them. Uh, they said, we're going to get drunk. We're going to have fun. We're going to have a good time. So my flight was at 5 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. So I said, well, I'm going to stay up. I'm going to drink. And uh, then I'm going to go to Chicago to catch my flight to China. Uh, my flight to China was booked business class. And when you do that, they give you a pass where you go to the lounge. They have like a like a lounge where you sit before the flight takes off. 
Yeah, it's it's, yeah, and it's really comfortable. It has like you know you can eat, you can lay down, you can take a shower. So in my mind, this is this was my plan, right? <laughs> this was Demetrius' plan. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go out Saturday night. I'm not gonna sleep. I'm gonna drink with all my friends. Then I'm gonna go get my um, my suitcase and go to the airport and go to Chicago and go to the lounge because my flight was at uh, 3:30 in the afternoon. So. We go to the bar, we have drinks, we vaped, we had a great time. I go back to the um, to the hotel, get my bag, go to the airport, get on the plane, arrive in Chicago, 8 o'clock in the morning, okay? Mm-hmm. I pick up my bag, I go upstairs to check in. The check-in for Cathay Pacific, which is the Chinese airline, doesn't open till noon. <laughs> so, I couldn't, so, I couldn't, so here I am, I'm, I'm drunk. <laughs> I haven't slept. <laughs> and I'm sitting on a on a on a little chair in front of the Cathay Pacific. I look like a homeless person. I was just like, you know, my head's bobbling, like I, you know, I'm tra- I'm falling asleep, and my head's bo- like a little bobblehead dog going on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I couldn't go in until twelve. I finally go, I get my ticket, and uh, and lay down a little bit in the lounge before before we took off. But never again. At least I learned my lesson from now on. No. Um, so then I head out to China. Now, the China trip was uh, was uh, sponsored by Sesmall. Sesmall is uh, a, a another association that's kind of spurred up in China. They're trying really hard to get Chinese people aware of what electronic cigarettes are, and they need it because just last last week, Hong Kong made a press release that they're going to go after e-cigs. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah, I heard about it, that they're going to try to ban them there, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, which, which I don't know why the vapors are up in arms. Just because they ban them doesn't mean they can't manufacture them there and sell them, okay? So that doesn't, mean, doesn't really mean anything for us, uh, but it does mean it for the Chinese people, which is it's a shame because a lot of them smoke. So part of my advocacy there is trying to educate uh, on the benefits of tobacco harm reduction, uh, and uh, the of course the uh, how Chinese people can can learn of how e-cigs are less harmful. That's part of it, what I, what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but also the part of course was the presentation. Uh, Sesmall had this big expo. They actually had to lay down like a, you know they had all these booths, all these girls, and you know all these new. But all the products kind of looked the same to be honest with you. You went from one to the other. It was like ego box. You know it's, it wasn't. You know it didn't have the feel of an American vape meat. And not a lot of juice either. You know, a couple of companies there, E-Life and Hankson or whatever. So it was mostly device-driven. Uh, uh, but upstairs, they had uh, the conference room set up for two days where all these speakers came. Ron Tully was there for Venable, uh, Oliver from ECF, Dr. F, of course, Asim Chowdhury. They had a really, really good panel. They had some people from, uh, from other countries as well to give presentations. And my presentation was on the study that the Chinese funded, which is the second and third generation atomizer and device study. And uh, the initial, we got the preliminary results with Dr. F and we were there to present him. And obviously I'm kind of uh, whoring out myself to try to get money for a material study because I think a material study is needed as well too. You know, on the wires and the tanks that we use and the metals that they use inside the tanks. I think all that stuff would be really, really interesting to have. Now, listen to this. The preliminary studies, go ahead. Did you have a question? No, I wasn't saying anything. I think my mic was feeding back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. A long, I see people say it was a long trip. It was a long trip uh, for four days only. Was but I, you know, it was something that that I couldn't pass on to do uh, because the Chinese were generous enough to to give money for the study, and um, it was the first time ever that the Chinese did anything when it comes to advocacy or research. So it was vital for me to go back and not only present uh, the the preliminary results, but also to praise them because that's how Chinese culture works, guys. You know, they want to see. They want to be appreciated. They want to, you know, they want to feel, you know, special. I, I don't know how to say it. You know, it's, 
that's just how the culture is. So basically what I did during my presentation, I saw the preliminary results, but I also praised the companies that funded this first study. That way maybe it'll trigger, uh, you know, uh, 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 it'll trigger the other companies to participate and do more for us over here. Okay? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Because everybody says, what is China doing? Well, I'm trying to get them to do more. <laughs> so the initial study was second and uh, third generation uh, atomizers and devices versus Sigalikes, right? So Dr. F always does comparison study. So what he did here, instead of comparing it to tobacco cigarettes, he compared it to Sigalikes and, and cartomizers and, you know, disposable cigs. The two results that I presented was we used uh, we used uh, Anakin SVD and an Anakin MVP 3.0 as the devices. And we used two tanks. Uh, this is the first the first set of testing. We'll use a Kangaroo EVOD and a Nautilus Mini. Now the next set of tests will have the sub tank and it'll have some more you know uh, tanks that have kind of come on the market in the last year. So what we did is well no I didn't do it I'm not I'm not a doctor. <laughs> what the doctor F did was he did three sets of twenty puffs on three coils. So basically he took the coil that came with the device and did twenty puffs and then. Took a break, then another 20 puffs and another 20 puffs. Then he replaced the coil and did the same thing. 20 puffs, 20 puffs, 20 puffs. Then he replaced the coil. 20 puffs, 20 puffs, 20 puffs. And he was hitting them in two uh, wattages, at 7 watts and at 10 watts. At 7 watts, he was doing a a 4-second pull. And at 10 watts, he was doing a 3-second pull, which kind of, you know, it's kind of the standard, I guess, based on the wattage. What he found was that in all stages of whether it was the, the different wattages or the different coils, the consistency and the efficiency of nicotine delivery to the user was within 7%, which is fantastic, which is excellent. And it's basically like replicating the event every time you hit the button, right. which is extremely important. People ask you, why would you do that study? Well, you are the in the EUM. You know that part of, part of the EU... Tobacco Product Directive, part of the, the the requirement is to show that the user gets nicotine efficient and consistent. Am I right or am I wrong? It's written right there. has to be consistent. Right. has to be consistent. So 10% deviation is the acceptable limit. This was 7% deviation across the board, not only with the Nautilus Mini, but with the Kangar EVOD. I think that the Kangar EVOD, uh, the Kangar EVOD was slightly better. I think it came at like 6.2% than the Nautilus Mini, on all coils, so you can't say you only did it with one time, they did it with three replacement coils at two different water levels, so each one was 60, so 60 times 3, 180 uh, puffs. 180 puffs within 7% is fantastic. Brilliant. I mean, everybody was so excited about these results, and this is just the preliminary, right? And we compared it to the Sigalike, and the Sigalike was a disposable, so you could only do 20 puffs, um, but the because the, then you throw it away. You know, you can't, you can't you can't replace the coil. So, but in the twenty puffs with a cigarette, like, I think it came in like eighty-seven percent. It was so inconsistent. The from puff to puff, drawing on a cigarette, like, because you have to understand that the cartomizer, how a cigarette like works, right? It has a cartomizer and has a coil in the middle. So every time you take a puff, it pulls the e-liquid from the cartomizer down into that coil. Well, in a cartomizer, it's inconsistent because you can take a pull and it might dry up. And then you can take another pool, and some more e-liquid will f- come down. And then you take another pool, and it might have too much e-liquid. It might flood. So that's the inconsistency that he's talking about versus the new generation 
um, second and third generation atomizers, which is great. We want to show that Open Vapor is safe. We want to show that Open Vapor works. We want to show that Open Vapor is consistent and efficient in delivering nicotine to the user. It's extremely important if we want to have refillables in the market for the future to do testing like this. M. I have a question about the single egg. Yeah, Was yeah. it an automatic or a manual battery? It was an automatic. Okay. Yeah, and, and uh, there's going to be more. Like the next testing, we're going to use uh, manual. We're going to use other other uh, re with replaceable cartomizers instead of having a disposable. You know, like a battery that you replace the cartomizer. Right. But I'm sure that I'm sure the results will all be the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, it's, it, I'm it's I'm 110 percent that all the results will be the same simply because that system does not work. I mean, how many times do you remember? I don't know when you started. When I started, people would tell me, you know, take a couple of primer puffs, <laughs> you know, to get the cartomizer heated up before you take your actual pull, you know. I, <laughs> so. I, had, I had a Joy 510 that had the freaking little filler on the inside with the empty cartridge that gets stick on top of the heating element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, God, do you remember those? I sure do. <laughs> but, we, you know, I... I it, when I gave my presentation, I, I, I brought up the, the regulatory hurdles, right? And the, and the four main major things now actually have the presentation. I might put it up at Demosphere at some point. But what I told them is that the, the four biggest regulatory hurdles that we have right now, number one is flavors. I think, guys, I think you might not believe me, but I think flavors is probably the worst problem that we have because you can't get away from the stigma of marketing to kids no matter what you do, you know? It's, it's very hard to sell cotton candy for a tobacco product to any legislator, right? Yeah, I have to agree with you on I that. I mean, it's hard. you got to understand this. I'm not agreeing with it. I'm just telling you this. How can anybody see that not being a problem? I think flavors flavors has to be the biggest issue that we have. We really need studies to show that flavors um, – let me pull – I'm going to pull this up uh, from, my, from my drive here real quick just to – because I did, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be biased, but, but I think my presentation kicked ass. Uh, and simply because, you know, they had attorneys and everybody that was talking, you know, and they, the Chinese, they, they kind of lost them. You know, 20 minutes after showing them text and text and text and regulatory bullshit. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, you know, a lot, a lot of the Chinese kind of lost it. But, but during my presentation, I had a lot of pictures, you know, I had a pictures uh, and, and kept their interest and I kept it short. So they kept me there for a lot of questions. They questioned me for like 35 minutes where everybody got like five minutes in questions. Um, okay. So, the, the, the and, and, you, know, you know, if you disagree with me, please j jump in because I'd like to have this, this debate with you. I want to get in a fight with you one day. <laughs> so, in, according to my thoughts, this is my opinion, the four biggest hurdles that we have. Flavors is number one. We can't get away from the fact attracting children... Uh, they're saying it's not needed by adults, that they only prefer tobacco flavors. This is the stuff I'm telling you that the threats are saying, not me. Uh, and th that's very, very hard. Number two, nicotine delivery. Nicotine delivery, which is too much or too little, it's inconsistent, inconsistent vapor production. That's something that hasn't been tested yet. We don't have tests to show that. Of course, now we have the first test uh, that we showed that it is consistent, but we need more. Um, material safety. I think that's a huge threat. Uh, the metals, the plastics, the coils, this, this is easy stuff that we can do. Take five wires, canthol, um, nichrome, uh, stainless steel, nickel, titanium, what, take those and start using them and see if there's any metals that are being released into the vapor. Yeah. Uh, and, th and then we can, we can quickly turn to the factories and say, hey, stop using this. You know, for them, it's really easy to change around. It's not a cost-effective thing, right? Yeah. Um, 
the material studies need to be done. That's what I'm whoring myself out next <laughs> for after this one. And and finally, efficacy and substitute smoking. I mean, just today you saw it with Tobacco Free California. This is a huge hurdle to overcome. It's not proven effective. It's not providing enough nicotine or consistent nicotine delivery to get people to quit combustible tobacco completely and transition to electronic cigarettes. That is um, somebody's arguing with me. I don't know. Can, do, do you see an argument so I can get it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't know. Somebody, I thought somebody was arguing with me. And I, I love a debate. If you love a debate, call me up. 347-308-8329. we got telephone lines. Uh, all right. So those are the four threats that I presented in, in my study. And, and that's because virtually there's no studies on new generation devices. You know, there's none out there, M. All the, regulator, the regulators are influenced by the published studies that were done mostly on first-generation devices. Uh, I, keep, I, I keep bringing this picture of this cartomizer that was tested in 2009 by the FDA, and I have the picture, and I had it in my presentation. And it has the filler that's been opened up, and the filler is black in the middle, you know, where they were drawing on it dry, and they burnt, they burnt the filler that was in there. They still use that study from 2009 today to bash e-cigs, It's ridiculous. Is that the... Uh... I know which one that is too. I can't think of the name yeah, of it. But yeah, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was like um, I don't even remember what company it was. But anyway, I, th they still use that, so th it's understandable that these threats exist there because they're influenced by these first-generation product studies that are out there. I also presented to them this, this you know, the studies that were done by Farsalinos on the four thousand vapors and the nineteen thousand vapors. Now, according to those from Open Vapor Systems <laughs> versus uh, versus Sigalikes. Right now, vapors, I'm talking about vapors like you, me and you. Yeah. Right now, a co total combined, 96% use ego type or mods. Now, I think the number here, it says 25% use ego. I think that number's diminishing because more people are transitioning to these boxes like the iSticks and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think that the mod category, if we did it this year, probably be in the 80, 85%. Out of the vapors that were um, in, the, in this survey, 3.7% use Sigalikes. 3.7%. And those are going to probably be the people that have just started up. Yeah, well, obviously. And, and, and there might be some people that use Sigalikes as, as a long-term solution. They don't want to mess with anything. They just want to buy a Sigalike and vape it and toss it out. So that category might exist. But if you want to see what vapors are using, they're using open systems. And flavors. This is really interesting. At initiation, they did this study. At initiation, 69% of the people at initiation this morning, when they first bought their e-cig kit, 69% were using a tobacco flavor, just like me and just like you, probably like most all of us. And 24% were using a menthol, which is their menthol tobacco. So combined there, 93% people were using tobacco flavors. Now, fast forward 10 months later. 10 months later, we have a combined total of 43% using a tobacco flavor. So look how much that dropped off. The predominant flavor is fruit, and then second in, the, in that category is sweets. So tobacco now takes third place after 10 months of, of use. Once again, proving that flavors are absolutely needed. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of stuff that we have to do testing on to be able to show to the regulators this is what people are using, and the, this is the stuff that people when they use it the correct way it will get them off combustible tobacco so if we can do a study that shows flavors are needed it actually kills two birds with one stone because then it shows that the product does use does work as a cessation method and it does get people off combustible tobacco yeah 
I know I know when I first started vaping because I was on the tobacco flavors and I think it was within a couple of weeks I started doing the flavors yeah. and trying different ones out and stuff and I want to say within three months I decided I didn't like the tobacco flavors at all yeah. and I very rarely ever touch a tobacco flavored yeah. liquid now and I, I think it's important because part of getting to the point where we are as vapors we have to go from the beginning with the cigar likes and the tobacco flavors and move into something that's better i have a friend in montana she started out i think it was like on a mystic e-cig from walmart or something like that mm-hmm. and she ended up actually going back to smoking um she sends me a message the other day she goes i really need to get back into this vaping thing and i said well you need to throw away the cigar like and get something better so she sends me a picture, and it's like a, a vision spinner with an EVOD on top of it. And she's like, is this is this okay? I'm like, yeah, you'll stop <laughs> yeah. smoking with that one. <laughs> I, see, I see a question that says about TMSA. What if it's not about safety but all about it? Yeah, listen, valid point. I'm not arguing. But if you mount the science, at some point – they will not be able to turn their heads away. And that's the point. The point is, what do, what do we have now for a regulatory scheme that's going to allow this product to be on the market? You're seeing it from a state-to-state level. State-to-state, the fight's on. I don't have to go. I've listened to my previous episodes and see what I'm talking about, state fights. The MSA has to deal directly with state fights. It has nothing to do with the federal level. No, no, no. I, 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 love, I love when people post questions like that because I have to explain to them. It's like I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not turning my head away from the MSA, but that is a state fight. So if every state has a lobbyist and they get organized, they can fight that. On a federal level, though, what do we have on a federal level to present a regulatory scheme that's going to allow this product to remain on the, on the market and help millions of smokers quit or transition or switch or whatever you want to call it? I can say quit. You know, I'm not a vendor, so I can, I can say quit. But <laughs> if you want to have the product out there on the market, you have to give them something. You have to give the regulator something to see that these new generation products are actually the ones that are helping millions of people quit and not the first generation. In my presentation, because there were a lot of Chinese manufacturers there that make stick batteries and American companies that, that contract companies there, uh, and a couple that I don't like at all. <laughs> I don't have to tell you who those are. Logic. <laughs> um, but I did say that I don't want cartomizers to go away. I think they belong on the market. I just don't want them to be the only choice. I said, in fact, if you have cartomizers in the gas station, it benefits us. Because if one person out of 10 that tries that cartomizer believes in vaping, we're going to get them on our side. Right? So I don't want them to go away. Are you still there? Did I lose you? No, I'm Okay, okay. So uh, everything has its place. These guys that are trying to invade the vapor space through the C-store are going to fail. Open vapor in a C-store won't work. There's no support. You can't test the product, and there's no, uh, you know, if somebody comes back with a question, the clerk can't answer it. So forget it. Have a cartomizer there pre-filled. Give it to him. It's plug and play. The, the clerk doesn't have to do anything. If he likes it, who cares? You know, maybe he'll come to the vape shop. Maybe we'll get him as a, as a customer afterwards, you know, when he gets done. So it's a good thing. But we don't have anything. All these threats, everything that's out there is understandable because we don't have the science. And the regulators are basing everything on what we have existing. And everything that we have existing, most of the time, it's either first generation or done by people like the Had study that have absolutely no concept on how to use these new generation devices. And they're dry burning the hell of a top coil, exhaling formaldehyde, and then saying e-cigs are bad. We need our science to back that up. That's all I'm saying. Completely agree with you there. Somebody <laughs> needs to call and argue with you. I feel nobody I argues with me. I, guess. I hate being the yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm sure we'll find something to argue with on. on Jake, him. Jake should do it. Oh, there's baby. She woke up. My wife finally woke up. She took a little nap, about five hours. Um, yeah, I'd love to debate, but you know, I'm telling you how I see it. And what I saw there in China, I saw that there is some kind of a willingness from the Chinese to do something. Obviously, that was painted from the first trip that we went there, where we got the money to do this study. But I, you know, you can tell they're a little bit fearful on the future of it. Um, some of the questions that were posed to me, you know, what, how do you all feel about the drug thing, and if, they, if, if vaporizers are used with uh, with drugs, and I said, listen, you know, publicly in the United States, if I go to if I go to a hearing, I would never say this, <laughs> but here I said, I'll tell you, I don't care. Let him vaporize weed. Let him make it legal all across the United States. That'll take the eyes off us. You know, <laughs> I don't care what they're gonna do. I don't care. I don't. Do, I don't personally use it. I said, but you know, I don't really don't. I, I don't care. I think it's a good thing if more people are, are if, if if you know vaporizing is is less harmful than burning combustible. Yeah. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I don't care what they're what they're vaping. Um, oh, well, what other questions were posed to me? You know, on the re- regulatory scheme as far as it comes to China, I think China's waiting for to see what the FDA is going to do. I'll be honest with you, which is a scary proposition for the Chinese. Uh, but they took this kind of stance because there is this, some some underground movement within China and in Shanghai in Beijing and Hong Kong, there's little stores popping up. Uh, they're kind of like underground shops. You know, you walk, you go in, they have other stuff too, but they have they have e-cigs as well too. Yeah. So it's starting to catch on there as a fad, which is a good thing because everything that starts as a fad uh, has the possibility to, to explode like it did here. Right. So I think that the Chinese are seeing that and they're kind of setting, you know, their, uh, their, their kind of territory. Hey, you know, we might be regulating this in the future. So now is a good time for the Chinese to get involved and be proactive and don't be like we did here just sit back on our asses and wait for everything just to come to us and now we're trying to defeat everything if they can get in there early with the departments of health and all that and kind of lay down the groundwork and say hey this is what e-cigs are they're less harmful we can you know uh, millions of chinese are dying from tobacco related and it's still the number one uh, cause of death in china as well too um, you know, we can help them do this. Of course, you know, the Chinese control the tobacco. It's a monopoly. They sell e-cigs. You know, they'd have to get their their hand in the cookie jar if this wanted to become a reality. But that's just the way the system is there. So why not? You know, if they have to do that, might as well do it. Why not? It's going to help their people uh, live longer. And if they want to keep producing products that they are, they, they want their people to live longer. <laughs> they, need, they, need, they, need more, they need more problems. China is also overpopulated. Indeed, it was. They are. They are. Maybe that's their way of clearing them out. I don't know. They have all these factories that are, that are causing cancer, and, they're, and, they're, and, and kids are coming out with three hands. What are you talking about? They don't need smoking. Uh, anyway. Oh, could you imagine a, the coils a three-handed Chinese kid can make? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's a good point. I didn't think about it like that. But usually <laughs> they take them off and they, they shove them some village far away where nobody gets to see them. Oh. Um, but anyway, the conference was really good. Uh, I enjoyed being there. I enjoyed being with uh, – with uh, the, we had just a great panel, great discussion. And at least we got our point across that, listen, the stuff that you're doing now, you need to continue. You need to have some science with your products. I showed them some pictures of uh, how uh, uh, agencies view Chinese products. and Everybody's saying they're unregulated and they're bad and the Chinese are not testing them. So I showed them all those those slides, and that really drew attention. Yeah. You know, they're like uh, – I'm like, this is the perception that you have in the rest of the world. And that's the perception that you have a lot from the vapors as well, too. Because that's how vapors feel about the Chinese. Like, oh, what the fuck the Chinese are doing? They're just putting all this stuff out there, right? Yeah. So so it was a good, it was a good productive trip. And uh, I finally got to go to Macau, too, uh, the last night I was there, which uh, I wanted to go on the first trip, but I didn't get a chance to. Um, 
So the last night, I left Shenzhen. I went to Macau, which is like Las Vegas. I've never seen anything like it in my life, Em. It's all Same. casinos. It's really? like, yeah, and it's like it's just like the states. They have a Venetian. They have a uh, they, they have a DreamWorks. They have a Sheraton. They have Holiday. It's tons and tons and tons of casino. Because the Chinese, you know, they're they're into gambling. I mean, how many times have you gone to casino and seen Asian people here? Seconds. So, I went to Macau, and everybody was gambling. In fact, millions and millions of people. You can't even get a table, and they're heavy gamblers too. The minimum bet on the tables, fifty dollars. You couldn't get anything cheaper for one for one bet in one hand. So the guy I was with kind of walked me around, took me to the high roller tables. There were pe- people betting. They were playing baccarat. Baccarat is the big thing in Asia. So everybody was betting like $150,000, $200,000 a hand. I was nuts. I was like, what the hell is that? Baccarat. Baccarat. It's a good game. It's fun. It was fun. I played it for a little bit. I didn't like it that much, but it was fun. Uh, and then the next morning, I took the ferry, which is really interesting, from Macau. That took me right to the Hong Kong airport to to come back here home. So that was my journey, Em. Long, long, and tiring journey. I'm jealous. It's not glamorous. <laughs> Living out of a suitcase for 11 days was not glamorous. Trust me, I was really, really tired when I got back. I bet you were. But uh, but that's vaping. That's where we are now, and uh, and I'm proud to be part of it. And I'm I'm going to continue to do my part. Um, I won't give up. I think we will win at the end. Uh, as much as grim and pessimistic as I might sound every week here, um, I I am. I'm, 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 I think that we're going to win. I was thinking about that earlier when uh, about like a time frame with all this, with the regulations and stuff like that. When do you th- when do you think? Um, how do I word it? That vaping is going to be at a place where we're going to be okay with it, as far as regulations and. Oh, at least five years least yeah yeah i i i don't think i i think five years i think with the lawsuits and um and consolidation you're gonna see a lot of consolidation these next couple of years too em you're gonna see I a lot of companies coming yeah i think you're gonna see a lot of companies because it only makes sense i mean if you have a six million dollar company here and a ten million dollar company here there's no way that by themselves they're gonna be they're gonna they're gonna move forward no way no. and if everybody's waiting for this big buyout from big tobacco they're not gonna position themselves to buy a six million dollar company they can squash you with regulations. Yeah. So, but what makes sense is to see two or three companies consolidate under one umbrella. So you see, you know, a six a six million dollar company with a ten million dollar company, a twenty million dollar company. They come together. Now we have a fifty million dollar company. Now you're on the radar, right? Yeah. Now you have power too. You can get lobby. You can get you know funding. You can get investors. So you're going to see a lot of this um, consolidation happening in the next couple of years. So, and that's going to ch- change the market considerably as well too. Right, because they're gonna be able to come in with a cheaper product. They're gonna be able to lower the prices, uh, be in more stores. That's kind of thin out. It's gonna thin out a little bit the the field, uh, so to speak. But even when the regulations are announced, I'm seeing about five years things will settle down by then. Five years can't come and be done. Yeah. Well, it might be only two companies making e-liquid by then. <laughs> That's the only problem. I mean, not not one brand. They might be making 700 brands of e-liquid. Who knows? But uh, that's my prediction. My prediction is, if I'm not going to say five, but I think 10 years from now, if we're around, knock on wood, I think 10 years from now, there's only going to be two companies, maybe, uh, you know, in the United States uh, uh, selling e-liquid. That's it. Because it only makes sense. Look at the big corporations and how it's turned out. They're not going to allow this mom and pop's dream to go on forever. No. Uh, every other industry has been consolidated and been bought out by the big corporations. And I think eventually that's going to happen to this company as well, too. Probably. Okay. 
Okay. All right. We went off uh, too long. I'm tired. But uh, the I think I covered a lot. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I hope you're not depressed. No, I'm not depressed. <laughs> we need to find a topic to argue. That's what we're going to do next week. We're going to try to find a topic to argue. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what a good way to argue. You want to argue? Yeah, yeah. We need okay. to find a topic. Think about it. Alrighty. All right. Yep. Well, Em, I'm going to let you go. VapeMeStupid.co.uk is her blog. Follow her on Twitter at VapeMeStupid. Uh, thanks again for joining me. Thank you for having me, and I will see everybody next week. Have a wonderful morning there now. Yes, the birds are chirping. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. There she goes, everybody. The wonderful M all the way from the UK. Once again, to recap, uh, the reason why uh, the episode today was called e-cigs regulated more than you think there are a lot of agencies out there that are regulating uh, the vaping industry uh it's unfortunate that uh, most of the companies don't even know it but now you know it also the fda kind of timeline gives you uh 